1: My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
2: This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Good morning, folks. Welcome into the show. Bang on 10 a.m. on a Saturday means right here on ECNZ, It is time for the Saturday session. My name is Daniel McCarty. Grant Elliott is not here. But we've got a more than able replacement. A good friend of the program has filled in uh, now numerous times. Is third?
1: third? It is the third time. Third. Yeah.
2: Hamish Bennett, former black, have, former cricketer now, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Thanks, Grant, for another gig. It's been yeah. good. It's
2: good. <laughs> um, yeah. He's I'm been worried a- about you since you made your announcement.
1: Who? Grant, has it? Yeah. yeah, so he just gets me doing a little bit of Saturday work. No, he's
2: on a junket, let's be frank. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. He would be so dusty if we called him right now because I think he's be. in Australia.
1: What he does is he he says we ring him whenever he's away, but he starts texting the show at about 10.30 going, <laughs> Can I come on? Can I come on? He just wants to make sure he's still relevant. So I don't know when his appraisal comes up, but attendance is lacking.
2: All eyes right now inside the SCNZ studio on uh, the big screen above our head, uh, above our headphones, it's the doubles diving. Uh, we're big into the doubles diving at the Commonwealth Games, uh, Birmingham 2020. That's a good one from the Scots. That's very lovely. Very good. I, I liked um, the approach um, at starting position was good. Takeoff was pretty sound, flight through the air, excellent entry into the water. I think they're the five stables of, dive, uh, of diving, of what the judges' criteria is. Yeah, I'm unsure, to I be honest. I think I just made that up. Hopefully I'm, uh, I'm accurate.
1: But they were actually in sync there. A few of them haven't been.
2: Ross Beatty and James Heatley in second position, chasing the Australians. Anyway, we uh, probably won't mention the doubles diving anymore. Welcome into the show. Our <laughs> number is oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. You can text us as well on double eight double three. All your regular features throughout the day are Sleep Drops Performance of the Week. That means you nominating your sporting highlight of the week. We've got a prize pack. Thanks to the team at Sleep Drops. Um, up for grabs for everyone who contributes via the phone, uh, calling in, or giving us a text on 88833. We've got our Somerset Saturday Session Legends segment. We're going to catch up with Moss Burmester. Well, I will. I caught up with him yesterday. Moss Burmester right now is halfway through a 12-hour endurance race. The guy's a machine even these days. Uh, many years after retiring, fine career in the swimming pool, um, fine career representing New Zealand Olympic uh, Games. Of course, uh, fourth placing behind the great Michael Phelps, who won a world record. He was a uh, Uh, leading after 50 metres, but of course, he's very familiar with what it takes to stand on the top of the dais at at, a Commonwealth Games, having won gold in the 200-metre butterfly at the 2006 Games. Very insightful athlete. We'll talk about all things. um, You know, chundering next to the pool after he first ever got in a swimming pool. We'll talk about, um, you know, getting to know Michael Phelps, racing against Michael Phelps, uh, the art of racing um, in uh, swimming and everything in between. Can't wait to to bring you that interview at about quarter past 12. Actually, be a bit earlier than that, probably maybe more 10 past 12, uh, as we will have uh, Moss Boomerster on the show in association with Somerset for our Somerset Saturday Legends. Uh, Tales from the Tractor, uh, we've got a great one this month. Uh, We're catching up with N. Kirkpatrick. How good is that? That is good.
1: We get the guests on, don't we? We
2: do. Former All Black captain, former All Black great, one of the very best to do it. Uh, N. Kirkpatrick, flanker, did you know? Did you know he was the leading try and scorer in New Zealand Test rugby when he retired?
1: Was he? And how how long did he hold that record
2: for? Uh, well, I think Stu Wilson took it off him in '83. Yeah, that's, that, that's pretty impressive, though. Flanker scoring about fifteen, sixteen Test tries. Very impressive. And I'm sure everyone knows about the uh, the British and Irish Lions uh, try, one of the very best to ever do it. in Coop Patrick will join us. We'll also talk at the start of the English Premier League season. Uh, Jacob Spoonley, former All former Wellington Phoenix, and of course. Uh, Part of uh, Sky Sports uh, football coverage. Looking forward to catching up with him as he will uh, preview the start of the English uh, football season, which actually kicked off a couple of hours ago. Uh, Hamish Bennett, you were a Manchester United fan, but now you're just a Roy Key pundit fan. Yeah, and well, Roy Keane keeps you in the game.
1: Well, I was, yeah, growing up. I mean, I think my generation of kids, you know, probably you're a Liverpool man, probably. Yeah, yeah, slightly
2: older, yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I was United. I remember watching the Champions League when they scored the two goals in the final minutes and the um, year being. Um, obviously champion league champions and growing up with the Beckhams and the Roy Keynes and the Neville's, etc. And yeah, Roy Keane's kept me in the game. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I wouldn't say he's
2: the art of punditry.
1: Yeah. He highlights a few negatives going on at United. Um,
2: It is a truth saying you might say, he
1: He just tells
2: the truth. He's not mean he just tells the truth.
1: He just tells it as it is. And I, I guess he just speaks with a lot of passion from United. That's the, that's the angle he's coming from. I mean, the era he played in, I mean, he won seven Premier League titles and he complains he didn't win enough. So he just speaks, and I mean, when he speaks about United going for fourth, I mean, that really, that's a real bugbear with him. He's not, you know, and when you know they're getting Ronaldo back to try and win the FA Cup, that was even worse. <laughs> so yeah, Roy Keane, if you haven't seen it, type it into YouTube, just Roy Keane United, and just have a, take a good 10, 15 minutes and just have a good giggle, really.
2: Yeah, pretty good pundit, even better player. Man, that guy was tough, but he was such a cultured footballer on top of that. Um, absolutely splendid player for sure. So the EPL season we will touch on. We will also talk about the All Blacks and South Africa. Jamie Walls going to join us in about 24 minutes' time, rugby writer. Um, we, we thought Saturday morning, surely we would only be talking about the game itself. Uh, but a very interesting story in the New Zealand Herald yesterday um, from uh, Gregor Paul sort of highlighting... Um, uh, and what he understands, uh, quite the meeting between New Zealand rugby bosses and Ian Foster. We'll pick that apart with Jamie Wall a little bit later in the program. So uh, that is what is still to come as far as guests. So we do hope we hear from you too as well. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. That is our number. Feel free to call. The lines are now open. It is uh, toll free. You'll get through right now. We want to talk uh, this uh, wonderful thing called sport. And and Hamish Birmingham twenty twenty two. I'm not sure if you're a Commonwealth Games poo-pooer like uh, Ben Francis. Good morning, super producer. How are you?
3: Wonderful team yourself.
2: Yeah, he's great. It's Warriors game day, you can tell.
1: He's kitted out. Got the hoodie on. What's under the hoodie? You got got another top on under the hoodie?
3: Yeah, I got a jersey on, yeah. Love it. Oh, he's gone for the full cat. We've got the socks. Full cat. You got the socks? It is winter. No, I don't have the socks, unfortunately. They got a bit dirty whilst uh, trying to look after some horses.
2: He's a busy man, I'll be Ben France. It's great to see you, my friend. Uh, our lines are open. 800 150 Commonwealth Games, you a big fan?
1: I am a big fan. I haven't watched as much as I'd like, but I definitely am a big fan. Big fan. Um, big fan of? Well, specifically, I'm a big fan of Timaru. South yes. Canterbury. And obviously this morning. Um, great day for Timaru. Uh, I rung Mum and Dad this morning and just asked Dad, because Dad did a bit of athletics on his day. Yeah. you know, tried and, until he pulled his hammy at the um, South Island Masters on video, actually. Um, great video of watching. Um, just,
2: does, does it get pulled out every sort of Christmas?
1: It does, actually. Yeah. And he walks, <laughs> he walks straight to the bedroom, dirty as well, dirty. G'day, Dan. So he starts in the 100, and um, he's going good. He's actually leaning, and then just blows a hammy out. And it is just... What event, sorry? In the 100 metres. 100 metres. Yeah. Oh, no. and, um <laughs> And uh, it's so funny, because we saw the videos back. That's why we've kept the VCR. It's <laughs> reason. And, um okay, Yeah. I can't wait till I can't wait till my kids are old enough to show them. We sort of rewind it back and forth the facial of when he's good to ooh, when he goes and you just see him limping off and you know, for the start, you know, he came home, we're like had to go, you know, all those years ago and he's sort of limping in and he had a bruise from his ass to the back of his knee.
2: Well, wow, that does sound bad. I, I tell you what, he yeah. Ben, he has completely entered the spirit of the Saturday session. Chance to talk about the Commonwealth Games, he's used it to Lance's father.
1: Yeah. Sorry but, about that, Stu, but, but that is
2: fantastic, Stu. We love you and appreciate you. I think we can go to the Lions. Is it Tony? Good morning, Tony.
1: How's it going, guys?
2: Yeah, we are good. What about yourself?
4: Yeah, not too bad. Um, oh, just to touch on the uh, AVs and Africa game. Yeah, please do. What are your thoughts? Uh, 13 plus Africa, easy. Oh, wow. Uh, you Foster's didn't even think gone. about Foster's that. Foster's gone after this game.
2: He's after gone, this game?
4: Yeah. Well, it won't be this game if
2: if Gregor Paul's story in the Herald's accurate. He's got two games to prove his worth.
4: Wow. He loses this one. What's he
2: going to do in the second? we We've Plan C. Well, hopefully, um, play better. (laughs) If I was to say All Black fire danger rating, we're we're not at low, moderate. We're not at high. We're past very high. We're probably past severe. We're in extreme territory for you, Tony. Is that fair to say? Or are we already catastrophic? Well, Foster's an extreme territory, that's for sure. He's, uh, the pressure's on.
4: The All Blacks, you, uh, I mean, Caleb Clark hasn't been in the jersey for two years. I mean, what's he doing? Clutching his jaws, hoping Caleb Clark's going to have a miracle game and win it for us. Really? He should have mwanga starting, Barrett on the bench, Geordie at fullback, uh, Geordie at uh, centre, and uh, Will Jordan at the at
2: the back. Yeah, you know, I I look at that side and I still sort of scramble thinking: Have they got the right back three mixes? Will Jordan a fullback rather than a winger? Have they got the right midfield? But then I just keep coming back, Tony, and tell me if this is fair. It, it's got numbers one through five, especially. Um, uh, they've got to lead the way, don't they? Well, yeah, that's for sure.
4: They can't keep relying on eighty five Favio. I mean, Sam Kane's not the captain. I mean, wake up. He's not the captain. He can't even play 80 minutes. Honestly.
2: Do you need a a captain to play 80 minutes?
4: Of course you do. Of course you do. You have to have a captain on the the field for 80 minutes to run the show. You can't have three three guys running the show. Barrett, his game's gone because he has to keep running the show. You can see it. You saw it in the Irish games. Moanga's got a way better kicking game than Barrett. That's what we need in Africa, a yeah. kicking game. Or our, yeah, or our, we're
2: our, 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 our kicking game, and not just from the first five, I thought was below standard against the Irish for sure. Um, yeah, so, for sure. so you're not paying... You, so there's yeah. not much hope and optimism anywhere, Tony. Nah. Not, Are you not telling with, me there's no chance? Nah,
4: no chance? No, no chance. Not in Africa. Not in Africa with this, with this pressure that we're under. It's well, we're, we're back in the, 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 the what, what, when we were really struggling was the, the 99 and 2003 World Cup.
2: I think we're back at that stage again. You we're going back 20 years. That was, was, was five in a row, wasn't it, 98? Eh? That was a particularly yeah. bad year. Hey, yeah. good on you, Tony. Always uh, uh, nice to have uh, you join us, and thanks so much for leading off. Sweet. Good punting. Thank you very much. He's hit a couple out of the park there. He hasn't held back. Your thoughts, 800
1: Oh yeah, well he's a sleet chamber, isn't he? Or oh, Tony? I like it though. Here's yeah, a... I
2: was going to use the fire danger chart to to try and figure out where the average New Zealand rugby fan is ahead of this test match. Um, and I've I've put I'll put Tony in the uh, catastrophic category. We're
1: in drought weather. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, like, it's bad. So where are you, uh, New Zealand rugby fans? Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. As far as your mindset ahead of this test match, is your um is your stress levels low to moderate? You find this is fine, just a blip in the road, they'll be okay. They're the All Blacks. Or is it, um, you know, into very high, severe territory? This is uncharted territory, we've lost to Ireland. Four out of the last five tests, not good enough. Or is it an utter catastrophe? Uh, Let me know, 0800 uh, 150 811. Back back to um, Hamish's uh, stories about uh, the Commonwealth Games uh, and his love. Tom Walsh is what you were going to get to eventually, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, until Tony yeah. sort of... Well, or your
2: father's bad. Tony, Tony got in the way.
1: Tony, yeah, and then Tony knocked the door down. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously this morning, Tom Walsh winning the gold um, with a with a put of uh, 22, uh, 26 metres. Um, incredible, really. Um, obviously, I grew up with the Walshers, actually, so I played cricket with his older brother, Bill, who was a little left-handed, nugget, nuggety-opening batter. Didn't score too fast. Wouldn't survive in today's era, but... God, he got the shine oh, he's a th- off...
2: He's a throwback. I like a throwback. He got
1: the that. shine off the nut, though, let me tell you that. He looked after the lower order. That was for sure. So, um, yeah, obviously, rap to see Tom just...
2: So, everyone knows everyone at Tim what basically, what you're telling me.
1: Well, yeah, a yeah. little bit, yeah. So, obviously, his parents, Peter and Karen... Wrote it's almost like
2: you're, you're all related or something.
1: No, not that, not that bad. Not, that not from Wyoming. No. And then... Um, Ian Beard was over there as well. His original sort of high school coach as well. We'd over and had a look. You Who know, sort of coached him through high school and a little bit out, out of high school. So it's pretty special. So, but also I'm brat for Jack Gill as well. I mean, you look at it from an athlete point of view. You train either two years or four years for these games, and to go there and throw a PB, whether you get a medal or not, I think you've achieved what you've set out to achieve. And he got the silver, so they've been great rivals for years. I've heard Tom talk about. The rivalry they had, for you know, Jacko's doing all those videos on YouTube and bench pressing a million kilos and all that. So, yeah, a great rivalry. So, yeah, more to watch from that space coming in the future. Um, this is South Canterbury hour, actually, the first oh, hour that, that 10 we'll, to 11.
2: We'll get we'll get back to that a little bit later. I was just going to say, sorry, you're gonna, you're, Dan,
1: Lauren Bruce, um, three no throws in the hammer, but from South Canterbury. But just to get there, compete, you know, full credit to her, full marks.
2: I, I feel like you're going to, Shove some South Canterbury athletes down my throat over uh, over the next. You're going to yeah, go, get a good history. You're oh, going to get a good history. great! I, I can't wait. I've for got that. a top hundred. Yeah, for, for the listeners though, oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. If I could uh, use our Sleep Drops performance of the week and, and just ask you simply your Sleep Drops Commonwealth Games performance of the week. Well, I, uh, for, I know Hamish has mentioned <laughs> his. So I'm talking to the listeners now uh, on oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. If you call, you will get into the draw. To Mick. I, I'm going to throw out Sam Gaze, uh, who's. Won gold in the Commonwealth Games, uh, mountain bike cross country, ahead of uh, a fellow Kiwi, Ben Oliver. My, um, I've always had a soft spot for him, especially after he threw the bird, you might remember, um, at the last Commonwealth Games, to a teammate, Anton Cooper. who I think he had accused of bad sportsmanship after he attacked on a clear climb heading into the last lap when Gaze was getting a, a puncher fixed. <laughs> throughout the big bird as he attacked him. I'm a child. The listeners know that. I'm so immature. That warmed my heart at the time. (laughs) And uh, great to see, I I guess, the New Zealanders on slightly better terms when they cross first and second. There is something uh, special about seeing first and second uh, at any event when it is, uh, you know, the black with the silver fern, the mightiest jersey of them all. So Sam Gaze, um, here's my uh, Sleep Drops uh, Commonwealth Games performance of the week. There you go. Uh, Get your nominations through Um, and your suggestions for how you're feeling about this All Blacks South African test and how you see it playing out. The All Blacks will turn it around. Too talented, not to. All Blacks by 10, writes Chris. So we've had Tony and Chris on uh, completely the opposite spectrums. I think uh, Chris is clearly in the low to moderate and with this dystopian world that Tony has painted on the other. Hopefully we we can get some... uh, voices in between before we get to our first break though as you ready yourself for your sporting saturday let's recap the sporting news of the day we call it editor at large as we unpack all the sport you may have missed out overnight and during the segment uh, we will add in some unwanted and properly unwarranted off-the-cuff opinions so shall we go south canterbury's greatest is he is he more on that later, but Kiwi Tom Walsh has defended a shot put crown by claiming gold, while compatriot Jack O'Gill, Clint Silver at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Walsh's uh, final throw of 22.26 was more than enough to secure the victory. Jack O'Gill um, finished second. Personal best, I think, he threw of 21.9. Also, Italia Ford uh, has won New Zealand's first wrestling medal at the 2022 Commonwealth Games, um, having uh, cruised to a win over her Cook Island opponent in the uh, I'm confused here. And sorry, I've deleted a word. We also won a bronze in the women's triples uh, at the Lawn Bowls. My humble apologies there. The defending champions, uh, the Black Sticks, though, will be playing for bronze after they were eliminated. And guess what? Heartbreaking fashion in another penalty shootout loss to England uh, in the hockey semi-finals of the Commonwealth Games. It was nil all after full time. Um, I think the first five penalty shots missed. So uh, ended up 2-0 on the penalty shootout. To cricket, you know this well, um, Hamish, Mitchell Sandner made the most of a rare appearance in the top order, making an unbeaten 77 off 42 as they beat the Netherlands by eight wickets in the uh, second T20 international. Sandner emerged at number three and shared an unbroken stand of 123 uh, for the third wicket with Daryl Mitchell. uh, A rare opportunity to bat. I imagine guys about 7, 8, 9 sort of in uh, T20 cricket hate that job.
1: Yeah, they would hate their job. On average, only facing five, six balls and then Mitchell sat in a can bat, and that's the thing. You know, if you played domestic cricket, bats four or five, bats quite high, scored a lot of runs for ND before he debuted for the Black Caps. So I honestly think he could play as an all-rounder for the Black Caps batting at six. So look for that for the future, which would actually help balance our side a lot. So...
2: And we'll finish off with Rugby. Canterbury have made a strong start at the NPC, winning 62-15 over Two. They ran in nine tries with Fergus Burke, Brody McAllister and George Bridge, all crossing four doubles. There are three games today. Counties Monaco facing Otago, uh, Waikato up against uh, Hawke's Bay, while Auckland face North Harbour in the Battle of the Bridge. On Sunday, Taranaki host uh, Northland, Tasman face Southland, and Wellington host the Steamers. And lastly, the English Premier League season is officially underway as Arsenal have beaten Crystal Palace by two goals to nil in the opening match of the season. That was at Crystal Palace's uh, Selhurst Park. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli opened the scoring after 20 minutes for the Gunners while the uh, win was secured when an own goal uh, made it 2-0 in the 85th minute. Uh, EPL season starting, Manchester United fan Hamish Bennett next to me. Where do they finish on the table?
1: Oh, I haven't probably done enough research there, but...
2: I just want you to give me a number. Oh. You're not full of confidence by the puffing of the cheeks. No. we we'll Ex- go, we'll go fifth. You go fifth. I don't think that's a bad... I've got them six on my ladder uh, for what it is worth. <laughs> uh, our number is 800 150 You can text us, double Let's rip into it. Um, really interested to get your thoughts on um, not only the Commonwealth Games, but also where the All Blacks um, sort of stand as of now. Uh, feel free to join us. Coming up after the break, though, we're going to catch up with Jamie Wall, who'll dig a little bit deeper into the Sephora. Stay with us. This is SENZ in the Saturday session. It's 20 minutes after 10. 25 minutes after 10 o'clock, this is the Saturday session, Amish Bennett's dancing next to me. My name is Daniel McCarty, Ben Francis. It's game day, so he's fully kitted out. Full kit warrior. How are they going to go today, Ben?
3: They're going to go better than the All Blacks.
2: They're going to go better than the All Blacks. Okay, so where are you on the um, All Black fire chart, um, Ben Francis? We, not, I'm detecting not low to moderate, I'm, I'm guessing somewhere around severe, maybe even extreme... Are you catastrophic like uh, Tony was earlier?
3: I'm going nuclear. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, please explain.
3: Oh, I just, I just don't think it's going to end well. Any, any of it. I just, I just see everything just ending badly. Just ending badly.
1: You've seen it so much with Warriors, though, haven't you? You've seen the script before.
3: Oh, well, to an extent, I guess. But uh, I'm, I'm, kind, <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying this at the moment. I'm not going to, to be completely honest with you, so.
2: You're enjoying it.
3: Yeah. You, you like
2: seeing people suffer and potentially people lose their jobs and their livelihood. Is that the type of guy you are?
3: <laughs> well, when you put it like that, it's a bit different. I tell you what,
2: I've lost, I've lost a job in a career. It freaking sucks. I don't want to see anyone lose their job. Someone's probably going to lose their job. My gut tells me that because I don't, I, don't I don't see positive results in South Africa. I just think South Africa are better than us, what I've seen over the last year.
1: Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Especially being a coach and but uh, it's just that public opinion, isn't it? It just yeah. builds it just It does and, and it just creates a perception and perception is reality in the sporting world and I think for the Blacks, though, being away from and you can sort of shut yourself off from that media, get yourself in camp, what they need is someone like to use the NRL term, go back a little bit, someone like Alan Langer, someone in their in their inner sort of sanctum that just turns an elephant into a mouse, always just brings up the subject, starts joking about it a lot. Suddenly, that's why they keep linger around in the Broadcoast and in the Queensland environments.
2: So, you see real benefits to being away from home?
1: I see massive benefits you just escape from the noise. You only probably talk to your family or your partner who's only ever going to be positive about what's happening. And you sort of c- can create, sort of, you can start again. You can land on African soil, create maybe a little bit of a different team environment, maybe create a bit of a mantra or something, a little campaign plan for those yep. two games, and just start living that and just start breathing that and just. They would have had plenty of time and team meetings to talk about what the All Blacks are, what their values are. They've probably had some All Black greats via Zoom or, you know, talking to the team about what it means to wear the silver fern and that. So I'd be surprised if you don't go out and see an effort from the All Blacks at least. Wow.
2: You would like to think so, Hamish, uh, for sure. Interesting thoughts, though, about, uh, you know, the benefits of being away from home. Let's uh, welcome in a man who knows this space incredibly well, fine rugby writer. I think we're utterly thrilled to get him on this show for the first time. He's been a familiar voice across SENZ, but uh, he's finally reached the big time. He's finally uh, reached the major leagues. Well done, Jamie. Uh, Jamie Wall, rugby writer extraordinaire. Uh, one of the finest street kids going around. Former Ponicky, great. He joins us here on the show. How are you, mate?
0: Good, thank you, boys. Yeah, what an honour to be on the show. This is a real
2: highlight of my career. So let's let's make the most of it, eh? Exactly. Hey, Hamish and I, when we had our sort of um, you know pre-match meeting, we thought, well, we'll just be talking the nuts and bolts of the game. I doubt there's going to be any sort of news bombs uh, in the twenty-four hours leading up to this uh, game. I'm clearly going to reference Gregor Paul's piece in the Herald yesterday. Um, So, have I got this right? There was a meeting after the series loss against Ireland. Ian Foster was told by his New Zealand rugby bosses, including the CEO, that he needs to resign if they lose in South Africa or fail to show definitive results. The request to resign clearly is designed to save New Zealand rugby some big bucks. Foster told them what he probably should know. You're going to have to sack me. Yet at the same meeting that this took place. Foster presented his plan to axe his own assistants which was subsequently backed by NZR at a substantial cost. Um, well, hell, Jamie, uh, not a leader among them, is there?
0: Well, I, I think that after the way things have been going in the last well, you know, year or so, um, this, this obviously comes as, a, as a, a, bit of a, a bit of an interesting story, but it, it's sort of becoming far and far uh, more understandable. Uh, if you know what I mean, like it's it's not this is not out of the realms of possibility given what what else has happened um, in this time. Yeah, true, um, Foster has Foster's really digging his heels in uh, on this, getting very very defensive. Um, it'd be nice if his, if his team could it uh, <laughs> because they're leaking points all over the park. Um, so perhaps he's the one who needs to make an inspirational speech about um, getting defensive and, and telling them how to do it. But I I think that. The first five tests of this year, after what happened on the end of your tour last year, in which they went around this very long trip, and it was always going to come down to those last two tests, which before they even left, you could tell we're going to be like, this is, this is going to be a really difficult uh, you know, little period, because the Oblakes don't uh, generally lose uh, their last test of the year. Um, uh, and if they do, it leads to a very long summer of conjecture and, and talk about the coach and the team itself, and not only did they lose their last their last one, they lost their last two, and they lost them in convincing fashion. Um, so I think that the first five tests of this year, which is, to be fair, on, on Foster and his staff and the team itself, is probably the hardest start to an all-black season since the amateur days, I think. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a harder start to a, to a test, test season than perhaps the tour of South Africa back in the day um that it was going to be judged on that and and they would have set a mark on the ground at the start of the year and said okay well we're mm. going to reassess everything after the first five tests if you beat island in the series and you go to south african perhaps pick up one win, like that's a pass mark like you're gonna you're you're okay in outlooks this is from new zealand rugby's point of view i think from a public point of view the question marks over foster it doesn't matter what he does um and it's and i've said this for for a long time um, is that because it's not about him as a person? It's certainly not about him as a coach. It's more about how he got the job, and how he's being used. And this whole team at the moment is being used as a conduit for people's feelings towards the organisation, the frustration with rugby as a whole, not just the All Blacks, but just from grassroots all the way to the top. And so, the results-wise, I think is just more of a kind of a, another blow um, to an All Black team that's just really struggling and to connect uh, publicly. Um, to a community that you know should be supporting it and now you've got people who are actively wanting them out there Actively wanting them to lose because they want it. They want change and and this is a terrible way of kind of going about it because it's it's the most all black uh, Situation that we can possibly have you know, like it's just it's it's mind-boggling that it's gone from you know, let's just think back to 2018 perhaps where the general mood of not just the New Zealand public, but the public around the world, was that all the All Blacks had to do at the World Cup was just show up and pick up the trophy.
2: Yeah, exactly. And
0: now we're talking about, we're we're in the midst of, and you can make a very good case of this, the worst period in in All Black history. And to to go from that to this, uh, and yes, there have been circumstances over the last few years that have have contributed to it uh, a lot, uh, is is completely unacceptable. So yeah i think that sorry getting back to your original point about um how there's been a meeting and then there's all this conjecture and then you've got staff being cut and and everything like that it's like well it 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 can completely kind of make sense because people are panicking uh, both within the all blacks themselves and within new zealand rugby because new zealand rugby have pushed all their chips onto the all black you know oh yeah in terms of in terms (laughs) of what they in terms of how they how they do things and it's like okay great um and and you're going to attract all these sponsors and you're going to attract all the you know this attention you're going to play these gimmick games over in america and everything uh but it's only good if they win because if you take away uh their their status as winners then they're just another rugby team and they completely use their unique selling point so yeah it's 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 not a surprise um that story that, that that came out um but yeah i think that if foster does get sacked and, and does get paid out because that's what's going to happen. Like, that's going to be the next big story because, you know, you've got a whole lot of money that's getting paid out to a coach that people didn't want in the first place and was losing games, and now he's not even going to coach them and he's getting paid out. So, you know, there's a lot of egg to be shared on people's faces uh, at NZ Rugby if that if that actually ends up happening.
2: Well, this story's more akin to football with, with, with managers getting sacked and getting big payouts. Um, New Zealand has been very conservative with regard to... Uh, even down at Super Rugby level players. Coaches don't get fired mid-season. It's such a rarity. I I cannot remember the last time. So I'd like to know, Jamie, who would make the decision? The same ones who extended him um, early, in my humble opinion, last year? Is it essentially the same set of eyes who will make the final call after the series against South Africa?
0: Well, unless there's been some sort of constitutional change in New Zealand rugby, um, Uh, it, it is the same. It's the board. And this is the interesting thing is that there's a lot of criticism getting leveled to mark Robinson, and a lot of it's valid um but if there's one thing i can I can say about him is that he didn't appoint foster the coach like this that that situation isn't on him um but he he he's copying it for a for a lot of things but he he can't it, it, the board the board is the are the ones who should be feeling the heat over this they're the other ones who you know, apparently gave a gave a handshake deal back in twenty seventeen to Foster, which led to that complete debacle over him getting hired uh, after Hanson Henson left, and and the the whole big uh, show of, of trying to at least at least uh, sh- show that the that they're doing a, a proper employment process, which was a complete farce. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But making people apply a for a
2: job, making exactly, people apply exactly. for a job. And, yeah,
0: very odd. And um. And, and that's on them, and then, and then the, the extension of, the con, of, of his contract again before the, the, that season had even played out that's on them, so I don't know why they're not feeling as much heat as, as Robinson is uh, over this one
2: yeah I, I just I don't have visions of Robinson making these decisions by himself. It's culpability all around Hamish yeah you Jamie, wanna...
1: you spoke about they had need to make improvements um, in South Africa. What are they specifically is it you spoke about the defense? slightly there is that where it is is that where it has to start
0: well i yeah absolutely uh, i would i would suggest that um tackling and and just identifying uh, threats across the park is the absolute most important thing the All Blacks have to do i mean they're shipping 25 30 points a game uh, you don't win test matches um by doing that unless you can score you know 40 and they haven't even looked capable of that except for that one test and um at Eden Park, and that was very much reliant on Ireland just kind of completely falling to bits there for about 20 minutes. And the Springboks aren't going to do that. So I think that uh, you know defensively um, they just need the to an attitude adjustment over what what they're doing. They're, they're starting each game in just consistently worse fashion uh, every week. You just look at that Irish series; they see the first try in the first. Five minutes of, of, or five six minutes of every every single test. Now that is that is disgraceful, um from from an all black point of view. Like there, there would be no other time in history that that's ever happened, that they would give up a lead that easily, uh that, that that um shortly into a game. Uh that that's the first thing that needs to get fixed is like if you're gonna r- pull on a black jersey, run out, sing the national anthem, do the haka, and then turn into a bunch of softcocks as soon as the ball gets kicked off. Well like give it up and give it to someone who can. I mean, I don't know who those people are because that's the thing about this team is that there's no one sitting back here in New Zealand screaming out like, well, uh, you know, everyone's saying should be should be in this team to replace someone who's not. I mean, the team they put out, I just look at them like, okay, well, you've made a few changes, but uh, is it is it really anything to be get excited about? I mean, I'm kind of excited about Caleb Clark um, being there, but he's not going to be the answer to their... Their problems in the forwards, obviously, he's a winger. Um, like they've picked uh, Sony Takiaho to probably, you know, counter the uh, very impressive Springbok um, front row. The guy's only played a handful of tests. Like I don't doubt that he's a good player.
2: Yeah, but it's so a second
0: start, start isn't it? Shoulders. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot to put on the guy's shoulders. Um, you know, the the Box are uh, obviously playing at home. They're, they're full of confidence. They've named a very big team, um, and you know full well that they have looking at those tests that we played against them last year, you know, they have the ability to score some really, really good tries because they have some very decent weapons out wide, uh, and the ability to completely shut the game down and just box kick. um, You know, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they just sat on halfway, kicked six or seven penalties, a drop goal, and that's how they won it. Um, In the old days, the All Blacks would have been able to counter that, um, and they definitely have the weapons to counter that. They've got Clark, they've got Will Jordan, they've got Jordy Barrett. They've got guys who can run the ball back. It's just that they're just not putting themselves in positions to do that, uh, and that's that's worrying, very worrying. That you've got all these guys of who had great Super Rugby campaigns, you know. Uh, you've got potentially like sort of the form outside back in the whole world right now in World Jordan, and it's still feeling like, man, this is going to be a really tough ask. You know, how how is this? How are the All Blacks actually going to win this game? And it's the first time I've felt this way about an All Black test in a long, long time, where I'm sort of struggling to think like without a decent dose of luck, without a decent, um, uh, you know, a couple of sort of refereeing decisions going their way or or a card or something like that, like how they're actually going to accomplish a a win here. Mm. I'm not saying they can't do it because it's the All Blacks and uh, like they're playing in South Africa and and traditionally they've found a way to do, to pull off results in South Africa. And, you know, I've said it before that, if this team actually has any idea about the legacy, um, the tradition, the history of this team, which they love to remind us about in their press releases and in mm. press conferences and stuff, mm-hmm. that they would reach into that into that history and 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 draw on it. And I, I'd, I'd heard you mention before that you know like oh you know if they had any if they had any brains they'd be calling up their their former players to talk about that. I I'm not sure like how how much of this generation would actually react to that sort of thing, but they need to connect with what has made that all black jersey so fearsome over the years.
2: Yeah, just not was, a, just it, not it on Courtney built, Place, was, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> not I'm a, I'm, a, I'm um, a veteran of bad conversations on Courtney Place. I can assure you of that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I've seen you and ms a couple of times there. <laughs> 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 but, but no, but 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 the point the point is is that if you if if this all black team cannot get barred up for this. With this particular picture, then they're done because it's only going to get hard next week because they're going to Ellis Park, yeah. And that is the hardest yeah. place the All Blacks have ever had to go.
2: Yeah, they've, they've, they've actually had a bit of uh, luck go their way with the scheduling. It is probably a soft landing in South Africa for, for this test match, uh, Jamie. Uh, uh, I'm detecting here you, you're you probably going with the market the TAB has New Zealand as firm underdog here, which is a rarity even during that Irish series. It was always New Zealand quite firm favourites in the eyes of the New Zealand punter. They, they've shifted. So what is it? South Africa by three, by 10, by 15. Lay it all on the line for us, well, mate. Everyone loves a prediction.
0: Well, I mean, you got to remember that this isn't just about the All Blacks. That says a lot about the Springboks as well. You know, they, they are the world champions and they are playing at home. And they, like I said, they've got a very good team across the park. Yes. Um, yeah. They didn't, they didn't, I don't think they pretty much. They, they played to their full potential against Wales, uh, but they definitely were looking by the end of it that they'd sort of found their groove a little bit. Um, so I, I'm i predicting a, a Springbok victory. Um, I think it'll be probably done in threes, uh, and that we're going to be in, but my, my firmer prediction is that um, we're going to be talking all about the coaching situation and the All Blacks all of next week. Um, and probably the week after, too. So, so the, yeah, there's my prediction.
2: <laughs> well, Jamie, it's great to have you on the show, mate. Do appreciate your time and your insights. Um, you know, just don't be mean when you're right next week, because apparently you, you're yeah. in the media, you're mean at the moment. Now, everyone's mean, apparently. Oh, I
0: got my, got, got my fangs out, mate. We're after a bit of blood. <laughs> you know, we'll, 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 uh... <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. You playing Jamie. today? You playing today? Cheers, both Yeah. Uh, yeah, mate, we got got um, Auckland uh, Premier
2: Development Reserve Grade final uh, down at Western against the evil Ponsonby. Oh, the evil Ponsonby. Okay, so get, give us an insight to your team. Who's most likely not to turn up after having a big night on Friday?
0: Oh, definitely our fullback, um, Stephen bit better known as Steezy. Um, He'll be rolling out of some girl's beard about now. Um, probably trying to find his place. <laughs> Uh, so, easy if you're listening, um, hurry up, mate. Um, and, but up front, <laughs> Order um, the Uber. Do it up front. Uh, we've got um, we've got a couple of great locks, Mitch Willis and uh, Josh Brekovich. Uh They are in for big games today. Uh, I think Brex is our top try scorer this year, so he's been uh, after me to give him a shout out on the radio all year. So there you go, Brex. There um, you no go. Um, and then uh, if you're out if you're out and about in Auckland later on, watch out.
2: Yeah, watch out. We don't have any locks coming through the system. Maybe your boys are, are the answer eventually. Uh, Jamie, go well, mate. Good luck for that final. Go
1: well, mate. All the best. Yes, boys.
2: It easy. Uh, Jamie uh, Wall, rugby writer. Um, really interesting uh, observations. Uh, he's right across uh, New Zealand rugby, of course. Really interested to get your reaction to not only what Jamie has said, but also your thoughts of this test match. Yeah, it's a very, very strange sight at the TOB website when you actually see the All Blacks an underdog and a head to head. Yeah, just this is, doesn't happen.
1: No, just I don't yeah, it is odd, isn't If
2: it was going to happen, it would be in South Africa. I, I reckon I could count the times New Zealand's been underdog at the tote on one hand, um, in the last twenty odd years. Let's get your thoughts. It's sixteen away from eleven. We will take a break. <laughs> Hamish Bennett's in the chair today. No Grant Elliott. It is twelve minutes away from eleven. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis, super producer, is here. Your text messages on double eight double three. Uh, this one, reacting to Jamie Wall, uh, joining us in the last segment. I don't know who Jamie is, but he was talking so much sense. He was saying, everything I am thinking, Texan <laughs> Jamie Wall. Could be, it could be Jamie, I don't know. It's probably not Jamie.
1: Probably one of his teammates. Yeah. Definitely not his fullback anyway. <laughs>
2: Definitely not the fullback he's otherwise engaged. Tim writes, Tim in the 09. Hi, guys. I feel the biggest issue with Foster is he hasn't advanced any players into world-class players. In fact, most players' skill sets have gone backwards. I'm, an ext- I'm at extreme level. Thank you very much, uh, Tim, for entering in the spirit of where on the uh, All Black Fire Warning chart are you. He's in extreme territory. I do wonder, skill sets. Isn't it just skills? Oh, it's it's just... up there with learnings for me. It's, it's fast approaching learnings territory. It's skill set?
1: It's not a word, though, is it's it? It's
2: just skills.
1: Learnings isn't, isn't a Skill word.
2: set. Here's my toolkit of still Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, it's,
1: Learnings it's, is not a word, though.
2: Learnings is not a word. It's lessons. But skill set. It's skills, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, I like going off track. Uh, someone from Australia writes, uh, Chris, mowing the greens at Cove County Club in the Northern Territory. Thanks so much for sending in your message. I'm not jealous at all. The ABs, deep in drought, will get pants. Should be pantsed?
1: Should be, yeah. yeah anyway. He'd be one of those guys that says, I need a new pair of pants.
2: That's a very good point. Yeah. I think he's trying to say they'll get pants. They'll lose. They'll yeah. lose heavily. He adds Jordan Molong and needs to start. Foster must get a kick back from the Mr. and Mrs. Barrett. Um, Kane needs to go. South Africa win by 20. That I, I would say that's a catastrophe area, isn't it? If you lose by 20 points. <laughs> that's not good. Someone writes here, more serious than an erection problem.
1: When you talking about that stuff I, a couple of weeks ago?
2: I, are you are you referring to the rugby, or did you mistakenly message a sports radio station when you were just you know having a private conversation with your, your loved one? I don't know, I don't know. And lastly, uh, let's get to this. Uh, hey lads, if I'm honest, I haven't enjoyed an All Black match for a few years now. They have sweated on uh, other teams' inabilities. But how good is this? The world has caught up with them, and it's awesome. I haven't got up in a night for an All Blacks game in a long time, and I will be getting up. Thank you very much. Keep your messages rolling in to (laughs) No Grant Elliott Uh, for the duration of the program. He's away. Hamish Bennett is with me, Daniel McCarty. Uh, So too is Super Producer Ben Francis. We roll through to 1 o'clock. We've got a busy old show for you in the next uh, couple of hours because we are coming up towards the top of the hour. It's four and a half minutes away from 11. After 11, uh, double dipping, we're going to catch up with Jacob Spoonley to talk at the start of the English Premier League season. His wild, wild takes. um, You know, a couple of weeks before even the transfer window closes. Uh, It's hard to make predictions. Um, We love hearing from our experts and putting them on the spot. So he will join us about quarter past 11. us from the track to this month in association with Midas. We've got a former All Black, great former All Black skipper, N. Kirkpatrick, joining us. While our Saturday session legend in association with Somerset at about 10 past 12 will be Moss Burmester. Looking back at his uh, wonderful career in the pool and representing New Zealand. That is all still to come. Stay with us here on SCNZ. Two thumbs up from Hamish Bennett. Big fan of this song, are you?
1: Big fan, Jimmy Dance.
2: Generally the person in that chair sings. No, you're not going to. No, I, I no, have too much love and respect we... for the listeners. Oh eight hundred uh, one five zero eight eleven. Text double eight double through the lines. Text lines are open. Love to get your thoughts. Very very well considered messages come through from Larry, who's um, actually wants wants you to answer this, Hamish. Oh, nice. mainly because you're the one who's played pro sport. Oh
1: God, Larry, I haven't yeah. seen this either. He,
2: he outlines that pro sport um, because it's faster and the margins of error are smaller. That poor starts or poor execution of one's own tasks are invariably due to a lack of clarity in the mind. The mind is too busy thinking of what to do, to be instinctive, to execute what's in front of them. The ABs appear to be too much in their minds and not enough in their boots, hence the number of drop passes, missed tackles, missed defensive reads, players out of position. Once they stop thinking about their game plan and once they stop thinking about their game plan and react to what they see or better still, um, with clarity, I wonder if this is similar for any opening batsman or bowler.
1: Jeez, well... So basically Larry's saying that he wants to play eyes-up footy. Um, I agree to that to an extent. I think the modern era with so many coaches now as well and so much data and so much analytics in the game, you can create too much structure about what actually happens. And for a lot of players, like I look at someone like Finn Allen, for example, to go to cricket, I'd never tell him a game plan and I'd only ever go up to him and ask, hey, what do you want to know going into this game? And he might say this, and that's all you tell him. And just tell him to react and bat the way he bats. Whereas some other people like, for instance, Ben Sears when he's bowling. He wants to know everything about every batter. So he knows everything. So he takes away his gut feel, his instinct. He just wants to know a certain plan that he can execute on that day. So I think as a coach or as a management, it's about reading your players and not necessarily having that one style or one approach for your players. Because if you're going on a really structured model, but you've got all these young kids who play eyes up footy, then you're going to lose. we well, you're not going to lose necessarily, but you're going to not play the brand or execute the way that you can. So it's about reading the room and then having a game plan that suits your players. So maybe that's what's a little bit off. And it's probably that sport New Zealand and high-performance sport model model of being really structured and, you know, having plans and being able to execute and all that. And that's all the sports psych stadium. I've never understood, you know, playing your game, go in there, make sure you're prepared, but stay in the moment. So what does that mean? So, like, do I prepare? Because if I'm preparing, I'm going to play the game before my head, but then stay in the moment. So what do I do, you know? So for me, I was always about reacting and wanted to know a bit about the opposition, but (coughs) always playing the moment. And that's my thing Larry's touching on there, is you've got to play the moment and not... Sometimes the chip and chase isn't in the game plan, but it's on. You've got to trust the instinct
2: it'll be uh, interesting to see how New Zealand starts. Uh, as Jamie Wall in the last hour pointed out, uh, New Zealand starts have been a, a little bit uh, poor, to say at least against Ireland. I uh, need to rectify that. And if they can start positively, when, you, when you're on a, a, a downside, and they have been, not just four or five they've lost, you go, you go for a stretch of nine, ten test matches now that the results have been patchy, to say the least. Uh, how important is a start when, you, when your side has had a string of bad games? If you concede another early try, are you more likely to think you're on the, uh, you know, the fire danger rating is catastrophic?
1: <laughs> I think the start's important because it justifies the week you've had. So you, you'd be talking about the week ahead, how you're going to start, what the game looks like, your plans, all that sort of stuff. And I think the start just justifies that. So, and also when you're back behind the post early and Sam Cain's, you know, giving a message or the trainer's running out a message, you probably just feel as like a little bit of here we go again and how are we going to get this back going, create some momentum and get the ball going forward and get it over the advantage line. So, yeah, the start's massive as just for the players as much as the coaching staff will justify the week.
2: Interesting thoughts, Hamish. Jim from Tamuka writes, uh, Fozzie and staff and senior all-black staff, I thought that was Mark Stafford for a second, uh, Jim of Tamuka writes, Fozzie and staff and senior all-black players have led the changes. It's up the, to them to front and the box are in waiting with your own questions to answer after the whale series. This will be epic in the history of both squads. Loose, lose and you're going to be... Oh, and the message is just uh, cut out. I don't know what's going on there. My apologies, uh, Jim from Timurka. You'd love Timurka, wouldn't you? Here we go. Um, he also... Um, lose and you could be gone.
1: Big rival's Timurka, actually. The magpies. It's north of... That's north, isn't it? That is
2: north. north of, of of Timuru. Um, how is your South Canterbury uh, Sports Hall of Fame um, chat cha- coming along? After Tom Walsh's uh, heroics, where does Tom Walsh sit? In oh. the South
1: Canterbury Sports Hall of Fame. Are we actually going into
2: it Yeah, go on. You okay. to, like, who, who, would, who would make, say, Hamish Bennett's top South Canterbury sports people of all time? Well,
1: I'm going to probably leave a few out, and that's probably by lack of knowledge or just forgetting. So if you are, are out there, we need some sort of South Canterbury backing music. So if anyone knows of anything be great.
2: Oh, so you're looking for a some sort of pre-match music. entertainment. You're looking for a South Canterbury band. Yeah. So yep. famous South Canterbury musicians, anyone know any?
1: Yeah, well, Tickson.
2: Yeah, double eight, double three. Tickson. You're, you're freely admitting, admitting you don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was, I was purely into sport, not yeah. too much into the music. I was too busy listening to Jimmy Barnes' Flame Trees. Um, well, Tom Walsh, he's a great, obviously, Timaru Boys man, but there's one man that's got a statue there. And Tom, I'm going to tell you what, they need a lot of materials to make a statue out of Tom Walsh, a lot more than they do out of Jack Lovelock. He's going to be right up there, winning gold medal at the 36 Olympics. You've got track and field covered, haven't you? We do have track and field covered, yeah. And um, there's actually an old Dallas Roberts. Just came into my head was a sprinter, actually. And he was behind Donaldson when Donaldson was in his prime. So that's our sprinter. So he was good. He moved at ANZ in Christchurch. That's <laughs> my boss for a little bit there. So if Dallas probably not listening, but if you are, hope you're well. Yeah, with yeah.
2: all due respect, he doesn't quite hit the level of Lovelock. And, no, he does uh, no, no. no so it's, a top, it's a top-heavy no, he track and field team it, you're it, sending.
1: It, yeah, it is. And we've got the oak tree that he received in uh, Berlin from 2006, <laughs> growing at the school. I can't remember who he received that from. It was a, the, uh, yeah, some leader at the time. I can't Adolf Hitler. Remember. His name escapes me. I was yeah, just yeah. joking there. I didn't really want to yeah, know, say I it, I but, know, you Yeah, know. I know. But, but I tell bit. you, how we would get some there... people
2: struggle to detect sarcasm these days. Yeah,
1: how we would get there is we get there by, by Richard Pierce, He'd be flying <laughs> the plane. So it doesn't matter where we are in the so, world, so we've got the travel covered. And he does a nice little restaurant as well. Did he get over the Atlantic? He'd <laughs> get anywhere now.
2: Yeah, now yeah. he would. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. we're not using Richard Pierce's plane from bang, uh, no, back in those days. We're bringing him back. Okay, bringing him back. So he's, yeah. He, he's travel. Yeah. He's, he's on travel. He's travel
1: and food, because he's got a restaurant yeah. in Timmery, So he's travel and food. Does some good chicken nuggets and chips growing up as a kid there. Once we're on ground... And we need to get from A to B. we are bring a Farlap back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See, you're all getting on Farlap.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's around. Big heart. This, big is horse.
2: A, this is a pretty strong squad, isn't it, Ben? South Canterbury
1: represent. How we get onto the Lovelock, head. Walsh, Pierce, Farlap. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good list. Very good list. Can't believe Australia claimed Farlap.
2: Well, you can't believe anyone else in New Zealand claimed him. I know. It's disgraceful. Yeah.
1: Absolutely disgraceful.
2: Anyone else you'd like to.
1: Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get to Dick Taylor.
2: Well, these your long, uh, you incredibly strong long distance track and field
1: side. Well, Timaru quite far from sort of any <laughs> well, other much, places. There's not much
2: public transport down no, there so you, either. You've got to run.
1: You've got to run. You've got to run. Yeah, exactly.
2: Isn't there? There's literally no public transport. Is that correct? No, there is. There, there is. is. Come on, Daniel. Is
1: there? People can't. You know, it's the sarcasm we give. <laughs> um, it runs on time too. Um, Bruce Taylor, <clears throat> hundred and five for on debut. Test cricket. Timeroo boys man. So I stuck a little bit of cricket. I'm a little bit biased, but Craig Cumming as well.
2: What's out at the Commonwealth Games? Well the women's T twenty
1: is. Yep. Craig Cumming as well. And talking about, you know, Haiti Tiffin. Are you gonna you're gonna talk about, you know, um T twenty former cricket. player
2: and coach yep. of New Zealand, of course.
1: Maria Fahey as well.
2: I must admit, I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole here with Hamish Bennett here, yeah, um, Ben yeah. Francis. I did not expect him uh, and his knowledge of South Canterbury sport to be as and we only strong. got to one o'clock, did we, we? Yeah, we, oh. we've actually got to about 30 seconds Okay, I'll, I'll quickly go through yeah, it. Okay, any... Mark
1: Parker, obviously, tragically passed away in the Bali bombings. He played for yes. Otago and a little bit of Wellington. His dad, Murray Parker, was a teacher there. Mark Ryan, Brendan Laney, Chainsaw. Brenda Chainsaw! Chainsaw, Isaac Ross, Callum Grace, Hayden Patton. You're missing a big one, though, aren't you? Myself. Is that the big one? No. Didn't,
2: someone wasn't who, there some guy who won a couple of Olympic medals in a pool?
1: Yeah, some guy who was just passing through Timaru, actually, and his mother couldn't hold on. Daniel Loder. born in Timaru, so we're claiming him. He might not have been there that long, maybe a couple of nights. But he, um, he's a Timaru man, and I can, well, yeah, that's why he did so well, I reckon. Fantastic. Maybe he tried to swim out of Timaru, get down to the as quick as possible.
2: And someone writes here, Bob Fitzsimons.
1: Oh, Fitzy. How
2: could you forget, arguably, one of the greatest boxers? Oh, fitzy. Certainly New Zealand's greatest boxer. Come on, champ in the world. Come on, mate.
1: Do your oh, research at actually, the break. there we go. We've got the music. I just remembered. Remembered. Jordan Luck is from Geraldine. The Exponents. The Exponents. Oh, no. You're telling me pre-game, here it is. You know what an I'm event. South Canterbury. Get to Alpine Energy Stadium. Get Jordan Luck so there, pre-game. Junior who actually province, played. Is there any junior, province represented in the Heartland Championship? I can beat that list. Nah, junior Tanu actually played for um, South Canterbury with <laughs> Glen Osborne and someone else. I remember they played the Vikings in a warm-up game. <laughs> I went down there and got <laughs> their signatures. I played Junior in a game of cricket earlier this year. I forgot to tell him. Fantastic got his autograph.
2: Uh Thank you to all those who texted and actually reminded um, uh, Ben and then Hamish of the Jordan luck, luck was. Not about
1: Jordan because he sings a song about it. Yeah, real shame, thing.
2: real shame. Double eight, double three. Keep your messages rolling, and we will take a break. Uh, the English Premier League is in our sights after this break.
1: Nedley Rooney with a gun as well. You got shooting covered. You
2: got shooting covered. Excellent. Oh, Geraldine's finest, Hamish, Bennett.
1: Is it what? And they do the Barker's Jam there as well. Beautiful. What a place. What a plug-in. Well, everyone, what, where would New Zealand music be without South Canterbury? Well, no, well Apart from it, Dave Dobbin and the rest. But, you
2: yeah, know. <laughs> I think yeah, there'd be massive contributors to New Zealand music, but I don't think they're holding up New Zealand music.
1: I'll tell you what, in 2016, out, not uh, Atlas. In 2016 for the Olympics, they were voted town number three out of ten to contribute the most athletes to the Olympics. South Canterbury, and home. The greatness. Of sports. I actually H- forgot H- Mark Ryan. He would bike everywhere.
2: Yeah, well, you did mention Mark Ryan. Did I? Yeah, I was you just making sure. You did. You did. Sure. Uh, Jacob Spoonley, I'm pretty sure, is not from South Canterbury. Fine footballer in his own right. Sky Sports these days. He joins us to talk the English Premier League. You, you aren't. Fr- you don't no, have any connection to South Canterbury, do you, by any chance? No, let's keep talking South Canterbury. That's intriguing stuff. Um, are, no, there, are there any South footballers Canterbury. from South Canterbury? We there was no I, footballers I am, on his Hall of Fame list.
1: We Daniel and I did a little bit of sarcasm and I did hit some there. Who? Hey. From, J- from, from from Jason. or Timaru? Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I know he's I know he's taking the piss, mate. But it's my show. Oh.
1: Yeah. Fair. <laughs> there's
2: there's any footballers confused. from South Canterbury? Is a group call You're... or is this a radio show? No, this is a radio show. Um, ha- Hamish has been waving the South Canterbury flag, uh, Jacob, because Tom Walsh, of course, Timaru's finest, well, not, all, not necessarily Timaru's finest after um, the list uh, Hamish has given us. Hamish, very That's clear. I
1: had him? No, you the... didn't. Mm. I mean, there you go. He was, he was in my class okay. at school, actually. So we could, we, we, could just, we could get to places a few ways. Yeah, this is going yeah. on too.
2: This Can is I just call someone
5: out uh, in relation to Mr Walsh? Jason Pine, a man of high caliber, um, uh, had an absolutely atrocious pun um, in relation to Tom Walsh's medal. He just simply tweeted out, shot, bro. I was like, oh, come
2: on. You're better than that, Piney. You're better than that, mate. (laughs) What what was this one about butterflies during the week? Swim like a butterfly? Well, butterflies don't swim, Piney. They fly. Oh. they fly. I would have thought butterflies don't do well in the water. We should never critique uh, commentators that we know personally and have great admiration for Jacob. The English Premier League season Everyone. is here. It has started. Arsenal score two goals. They have won uh, the opening game of the season against Crystal Palace, and it's a fitting way to actually probably start. Uh, the question's to you, Jacob Spoonley. Um, always nice to start with a the win. They didn't last year. They went down to Brentford, I think it was, away from home to start the season. They've spent big Arsenal. Is it top four or bust for them? Is that how you judge, you know, what they can and will achieve this year? Well, I think there's
5: demands on a lot of teams in the Premier League, and with the money that floats around, obviously it's a fairly cutthroat industry um, to be a part of. I really like what Arteta's done with Arsenal since joining City. The club was in a bit of disarray; they'd gone through a number of managers. The squad had a had a number of iterations to it. He's quietly building a quite competitive team here. And I think the real change in approach is the signing of Gabriel Jesus. And he was dynamic this morning in that game, uh, a real intention to his play. And when you put alongside the likes of Martinelli, who selfishly lads, I removed him from my fantasy league team, for Martin <laughs> I'm that now. But... Um, It was a great result for Arsenal, um, particularly when you compare it to their result and the way in which they started last season. But going to Selhurst Park, it was absolutely rocking to kick off the Premier League. The Tifos were out at the beginning of the match. They were up against a dynamic team in Crystal Palace. They're very confrontational up front, very direct, very skilled, the likes of Zaha. So they could have caused Arsenal a lot of problems. But going away from the game with a 2-0 result, two goals and a clean sheet. Uh, Arteta could not have been um, happier, to my mind. And I think Arsenal are a dark horse to get into that top four this year.
2: Yeah, I think Crystal Palace are a good side too, and, and it is a good result for them. Their crosstown rivals, Arsenal, that is um, Spurs. Full pre-season under Antonio Conte. That would be huge for them, because this guy is is a real coach, isn't he? Um, He made great improvements coming in mid-season last year, um, and they got into the Champions League. They they must have huge optimism about what they could possibly achieve this year.
5: Yeah, and I think they've probably got a player that's in the top three, if not the top five in the Premier League and Son, he's He's a player that can do a lot. He comes from deep. He plays off Harry Kane. He can also at times lead the line if you want to rotate him out um, and play a bit more of a false line, come short but he's, a, he's an absolute headache for defenders. And when you take into account the preparation that it's had under Conte this season, a lot was made about Conte's preseason and um, the way in which he doesn't let players get out from underneath him. He controls that uh, training and the way in which they approach games with meticulous fashion. So uh, they're another really interesting proposition to make the top four. I actually think that there's more pressure on Conte to make the top four this year, given the financial demands of that particular club, was Tottenham having built that stadium and not maintained Champions League football, which was really clear was the intention. So he's on a bit of a shorter lease than Mikel Arteta, um, the crosstown rival, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the players not only respond to the pressure that I think a lot of their fans will put them under, but also the demands that Conte will put them under. So let's see how they kick off... uh, over the weekend against Southampton, that is an absolute must-win fixture for them if they are to achieve their top four aspirations this year.
1: Jacob, I'm a bit of a Man United fan when I grew up. haven't kept track of it too long, but Roy Keane's got me back in the game. Not necessarily back on the bandwagon, but how long till Roy Keane? Who's he going to be barking at? Which player will he be barking at first? Probably Maguire, but... And then, or is it the CEO?
2: Yeah, well, Hamish, um, for a bit of context here, uh, Jacob, started the show by saying Roy Keane's punditry is the best thing about the EPL for him.
5: (laughs) I I love it, mate. You've got the passion of Carragher and Neville. You've got the cheekiness. Um, with Micah Richards and then you've just got the blunt-faced bearded man in Roy Keane who has (laughs) absolutely no time for anything. It's a wonderful balance that they've managed to achieve and you're right, he does come with a lot of credibility and a lot of currency in the game. Um, So I, I do like Roy Keane. I think Roy Keane, I think he's going to be impressed with what Den Haag does this year and For me, the problems haven't been at the managerial level with Man United, they've been above. The way in which this club has been steered by its executives has been incredibly disappointing, particularly after the legacy and the blueprint that was set down by Ferguson. So I actually think they've got the right manager in. He is an uncompromising individual and sticks to his philosophy almost to the T. And that includes chopping the likes of Cristiano and Ronaldo potentially at the knees. Either you get on board or you get out. And that seems to be the message that's being delivered at the moment. And it's not an easy conversation to have. And it's not a conversation that, is, that happens once. It's over a couple of days, it's over weeks. And I think Ronaldo has been given a mandate by Den Haag. We are not going to accommodate you. This is how I play yes. football. And you can be a part of it. Or you can move on and go take a retirement contract somewhere else. But you're not having it here at Man United, which I think Roy King will respect.
2: What will happen? before September 1st and the transfer window closes, does Ronaldo stay there? Unless he takes a massive pay cut, I can't see where he would land.
5: Well, it's an interesting one. So the MLS is obviously a a natural landing ground or there'll be definite interest from the MLS. Gareth Bale has gone there, um, gone to LA. It'll give Ronaldo the opportunity to go to the likes of a massive media market in New York or California. Um, But if he wants to stay in Europe, I think he's got a bit of a brand issue at the moment. It was very clear last year that he was there to score goals, which he did. um, But it was all about him and his individual production, not how he fitted into the team. And you had constant criticism, particularly from the likes of Carragher in the Sky Sports UK team, saying he doesn't offer them anything out of possession or he doesn't offer them too much in terms of the way in which the team builds up. It was very much, get the ball to me and I'll take care of the rest, not how can I amplify what it is that we're doing as a team. So I, I, I can only see this going one way at the moment, unless Ronaldo turns over and says, I'm all about the team, I'm all about absolutely milking the last ounce of talent and physical capability out of myself, and I'm going to subscribe to what Den Haag is putting out. And I think we're in the midst of that conversation at the moment, but to mine... Um, I think over unders, uh, you're looking at Ronaldo leaving Man United or at least not playing as much as he did last season.
1: Jacob, buy the summer. By by the summer? Yeah. Buy
5: of the summer.
1: summer. Sorry, buy of the summer. Who's oh, been by. the buy of the summer?
5: <laughs> buy of the summer. Well, there's a couple out there. Obviously, we've got Haaland in at Man City. Alvarez looks like a decently signing, having scored um, against Liverpool. In the community shield, we've got um, the evolution uh, of Darwin that uh, is probably going to happen at <laughs> Liverpool. They're going to change the way in which they play to accommodate him. Um, Carvalho looks decently signed for Liverpool as well. I think this is going to be... that The, the, the story of the season is going to be more about the Cold War that will be fought between Liverpool and Manchester City. They will be indirectly competing with each other throughout the course of the season, only coming to blows twice. And I'll be able to answer that, I think, in around about January, when we'll either see <laughs> Haaland or Nunez absolutely fly. Because it's very clear that both Guardiola and Klopp have both tried to elevate their particular team by adding those two central strikers and that Arsenal and that firepower that they want um, from those two players in particular.
2: I have the big six finishing in the top six. It seems to me the big six are getting stronger than ever. But the top two... There's still a gap, isn't there? And you're in agreement with that. You're subscribing to that theory that it is still Man City and Liverpool are likely to finish 1-2 in in a particular order.
5: I think it is. I think if you're being realistic and you were able to sit in on a number of conversations in the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, um, I wouldn't say Leicester anymore. They seem to have taken a backward step. But even the likes of West Ham, they aren't going for one of the top four positions. They're going for two positions being third and fourth. And I think that's the realistic approach here. Look, all cards on the table. I'm a massive full fan, um, born into a family that um, is full of reds. But what we're seeing at the moment, I think, is potentially the two best ever coaches in the Premier League go at it year in and year out. Look, you can say Ferguson was a wonderful manager, and I completely understand that. I think Klopp and Guardiola are more that kind of coaching. How do we get the best out of football? How can we evolve football And you're seeing from them week in and week out, subtle nuances to really exploit opposition um, and to make sure that they don't drop points. The the craziest thing about this particular era is we are talking about when Liverpool and Man City drop points, not when they win games. Those are the massive talking points that come out each week. Every time you get around the water cooler on a Monday morning, with a Liverpool or a City fan, you're almost relieved that you've maintained that momentum and got those three points over the weekend. If not, then you're the subject of the conversation.
2: Jacob, can I get you out on this one? He's not here today, so it's a little bit unfair um, that I raise it, but that's the way I roll. Grant Elliott being the proud Everton fan that he is. Um, it, Jesus. It, it, success is staying out of a relegation battle, isn't it?
5: I think it is. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that Frank Lampard is the most appropriate manager for Everton at the moment they're obviously subject to a number of restrictions given the financial fair play regime that governs the Premier League and they spent a lot of money um, in the first couple of years Yeah, plus they might have um, had a Russian oligarch
2: called be- Usmanov involved in uh, financing the club even though he doesn't own the club it seems like that the, their Russian money has dried up rather quickly too, Jacob, isn't
5: it? And they're building a stadium at the moment mate, so they haven't recruited as well as they should have. I think that you'll see backward steps this year from the likes of, uh, well, not backward steps, but Everton will stay down there. Leicester, I'm not convinced that's a happy environment at the moment. And um, I think they overachieved last year in West Ham. So I, I think, look, happy to kick Grant while he's down and he's not around, which is fantastic. But I think the best way that we can do it is to say, realistically, Lads, you're going to be down the bottom and you're scrapping for everything that you've got. I'm
2: also talking to Phil, who's my mate at the moment as well. Um, <so>. See, see, remember the days, Everton, of mid-table mediocrity? Remember those, those halcyon days? Uh, Jacob, oh, thanks so much for joining Henry. us, mate. Uh, absolute, yeah, absolute treat having you on the show, mate. We look forward to catching up as the season progresses. Take it easy. Lovely, boys, and keep talking about South Canterbury. Great chatting to you.
1: We Will do. Don't we, we, you we worry about have, that. Have,
2: have we got anyone else?
1: There's oh, a few look. texts
2: actually arrived in. We've got Jock Ross. South Canterbury, thinking, haven't heard, John Ward, New Zealand wicketkeeper. Yep, wicketkeeper. Uh, someone writes here, Jock Ross, tallest all-black, question mark? That's a really good question. I don't know. Who is the tallest all-black? Chris Trigaskis would be up there. Yeah? Uh, Crash. And his Two son, 04. I remember that number.
1: His son played for the all-blacks as well, Isaac Ross. He did. Primary boy, man as well. Very, very yeah.
2: brief. It was sort of in and he was gone.
1: Yeah, but he still played. Oh, God.
2: I know, I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm not yep. Commonwealth Games poo uh, Ben Francis.
1: Yeah, stop poo-pooing It's, it's a, a poo-poo. What a small town area. We've done our part for New Zealand.
2: We've got to take a break. We're going to be joined by a former all great part of our uh, minus Tales of the Tractor series. Uh, a bit of a legend across New Zealand, uh, particularly what Poverty Bay, East Coast Tide Afferties worked up there many, many years on the farm. In Kirk Patrick is going to join the show. Uh, I think he's in Auckland today. We'll find out why. Stay with us. Um, our Tales from the Tractor in association. With uh, Midas, uh, not too far away, Midas AgriTyres, the choice of leading manufacturers. Midas AgriTyres, European quality, made affordable. Back after. It's an interesting, uh, interesting quality audio. Yes, Geraldine's finest, Jordan Love. Hamish quality. Bennett is in for Grant Elliott today for his final appearance on the Saturday session. Absolutely boring us with South Canterbury sporting propaganda. Although I must bow I'm bowed down to that list. That is an impressive list you have come up with.
1: Surprisingly, ratings are up.
2: Yeah, we're very big in South Canterbury. Although someone does write, boys, the Ross family are proud Mid-Canterbury family, not South Canterbury.
1: Well, they own a farm in Mid-Canterbury, but they came and got educated in South Canterbury, Trimory boys, so we're claiming them, played for South Canterbury, so... We're claiming them. Well, our next we, We've guess- seen the ad, haven't we? Jock selling his bread on his farm. So. Yeah,
2: yeah, true. But
1: he came down to Timaru. So if he didn't come to Timaru Boys, he wouldn't have been on that ad.
2: Our, our next is more sort of associated with Poverty Bay, uh, East Coast Tyraferty, and of course uh, the All Blacks. Probably played against some good South Canterbury sites in his day, of course. So uh, we are utterly thrilled. And uh, delighted to, to be uh, joined on the program for our Tales of the trainer association with Midas. One of the very best to ever do it. A brilliant flanker, Hamish. Capped 39 times for the All Blacks, uh, played 113 games overall, so 39 test matches. A Former All Black captain, of course, 16 test tries, and as I dropped that little nugget, was the leading try scorer um, until one Stu Wilson eclipsed his record in 1983. He liked scoring tries, 150 of them, 115 of them in 289 first class games but he'd probably be bored uh, listening to me introduce him, being incredibly humble. Uh, utterly thrilled to welcome in Ian Kirkpatrick to the show. He joins us, I, I assume, uh, from the gorgeous Poverty Bay, is it in? Because I heard you might be on the road next week, I've been told, to watch some First 15 Rugby, but you're at home today. Welcome.
6: good hey, Good morning, fellas.
2: Yep, no, it's a great,
6: great day in Poverty Bay. Very sunny, for a change, and uh, yeah, no, it's Excellent day.
2: Well, well, it's nice to be able to, you know, change the the, the thoughts to Poverty Bay after, you know, the the Prince of South Canterbury propaganda next to me. You would have played against some pretty decent South Canterbury teams back in the day, Ian, or or not really? No, not at all. I don't think
6: think I ever played against South Canterbury. We used to play, when I was in Canterbury, we played mid-Canterbury quite early on in the season, but we never, no, I don't think I ever played South Canterbury, no.
1: Now well, it's a shame for you, mate. You would, have, you would have seen their glorious four days in 1974, though, when they held the Shield.
7: Was it four days?
1: Well, it was four days. and we lost to Wellington. Oh, oh that's no beat, good. It must uh, have been a good...
2: And a big Marlborough, yeah.
1: Of course they did. 9-3. Nine 9-3. Nine
2: yeah. That was incorrect. That's still being talked about at Marlborough now, isn't it? Um, and then lost it, um, you know, to the city slickers of, of, of Wellington. How How is that precious part of the country, poverty Bay, East Coast Taita tea? How is it? No, it's, yeah, uh, no, it's pretty good.
6: No, no, very, very good actually. You know, we um, like everywhere, we've had, had our first year of rain, sort of in this area, p- particularly up the coast, more so. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it's like, I think in most places around New Zealand, we've had enough rain to last us for a while. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, it is a pre- precious and, and unique part of the country, isn't it? But as as you point out, in it's, it's under duress, isn't it? Especially with the weather events leading to. To widespread flooding for those who don't know how how rough has that been over say the last year and it's it's not a problem only for the last 12 months but how significant um, is it the damage and how do we overcome it I guess
6: yeah, it's more it's been more damaging up you know north of here Tolga Bay Tokammoa Bay right up um, around East Cape um, they've had A lot more rain than we had, and it's sort of it's taken its toll on the um, on the roads, particularly uh, with the logging trucks coming down. And there's plenty of those coming down every day from uh, mainly up uh, north of here, and and the roads probably originally weren't probably made for that much sort of heavy heavy road traffic. So you know, it's certainly taken its toll. But there's also a lot of dropouts um, particularly north of um, togamura bay and 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 above and so it's yeah it's certainly taken its toll but i guess we'll get over it uh, like uh, every other flood we've we've had in the past um, yeah that's just a, a it's a pain but um
2: yeah know we'll, we'll get through it a resilient bunch you have to be unfortunately um, uh, it, it can't be easy it can't be easy for sure but i can only only help but think um how much joy it's sort of given you over the years that part of the country and what you've done
6: oh yeah no it's uh, it's it's a unique place it's, i guess we're we're lucky we don't get um over invaded by by people um I know there's some marvelous beaches north of here and including Gisman as well so um yeah, no, we're we're, we're lucky and uh, to have you know that at our sort of um, back door, and uh, you know, long may it last
2: too. Hey, the east coast, especially the east coast rugby community, Poverty Bay. I would say, and and, and I'm an outsider. And tell me if I got this wrong, but small community, but really still passionate about rugby. Is that enthusiasm for the game still there, despite over the last generation? The major metropolitan centres really hogging rugby in a lot of ways, with all the big games being sent there. Is there still passion on the streets and the clubrooms of that region?
6: Oh, do right. You know, the coast. I mean, they've you know they've probably suffered through Cyclone Bowler and then you know the forestry took over, and it sort of took away a lot of the um, farming communities because of uh, the fact that. You know, the 400 years. I guess they got away with um, selling some of the the bush that probably should have never been felled. But and so that went back into pine trees, and so hence we have all the pine trees now. And so there's been a an exodus of um, people from the communities. But the coast, you know, rugby in particular has really kept it going. They um, the coast have have hung in there. There was always talk, you know, 20, 30 years ago about East Coast and Poverty Bay amalgamating, but um, good on the coast. They they stuck to their guns and um, yeah, they've, they've really shown that you know they're really passionate about about the game and, and about communities up there. So and um, you yeah, know, long may it last too. They they certainly got they've, got they've got some good people up there running the game and they and they're proactive and uh, the players are they're all pretty passionate coast people and they. And they're quite happy that they they continue to play for East coast, and um, no good right. on them too. And so probably Bay, you know, we 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 have uh, struggled like probably lots of heartland uh, provinces are with, with numbers and in uh, particularly clubs. Some clubs have uh, folded and amalgamated, um, but yeah, no other than that, um, no, it's, all, it's all you know, it's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's the volunteer. Part of the game up here is um, is is what keeps it going, really. Um, pretty much amateur in the uh, in the form of, of what we know about professional rugby now. So we're pretty much amateur, but so uh, we rely on on that um, volunteer group of people that sort of keep clubs going and, and provinces going. So you know we're pretty lucky in
2: that way. Uh, Ian Kirkpatrick is with us. Um, I, I'm sure he could speak off here to, to Kirkie um, Hamish, get some tips now. You've retired about staying fit and active, um, well into his 70s now. Uh, incredibly fit. Lots of cycling, healthy body, healthy mind, all those things. Hamish, don't blow out like a balloon. Be like Ian Kirkpatrick, a yeah. uh, former All back yeah. Grave, is with us here. Kirkie, oh, I'd like to know... Um, You've spoken in recent times um, about defences suffocating rugby. Um, I agree with you on that. Um, Previous years, the gladiatorial nature of the game has you worried about the long-term well-being. So you still follow the game. You obviously think very deeply about it. It's hard to ignore, though, this weekend. It's all about the All Blacks in South Africa. Um, As a former All Black, I'm sure you're desperate for them to win again, but... You know, what's your gut telling you about the challenge of taking on the box this week where the All Blacks currently are?
6: Oh, yeah, they were, you know, they were in an awkward position, obviously, what, you know, what the um, Irish um, put up against us. And so um, we are, I guess, going in probably um, not as confident as we would like to be against Sabaga. And having seen Sabaga play Wales I know they they were you know they were lucky in a couple of, in one test I suppose to to win it but you know they won in the, the third one quite easily. But yeah, the, the savagan sides, you know, as we know over the years, particularly in the professional era, they've really picked these big guys and, you know, we're you know, we'll be up against it in the, in the set pieces in particular, where, you know, if you, if you don't dominate there you're gonna struggle. And I, I can see we're going to struggle with line-out time with, with their huge guys and, they, you know, they're athletic. And so they'll be challenging us at our line-out time. So that's going to make it difficult for us to actually dominate. And, um, you know, scrum time, well, we just hope we've, you know, got the right scrum that uh, can put it with them. But, yeah, and, and, and you know, I guess we who knows how they're going to play at the ABs. I mean, they're going to have to do something different to what they've done against the Irish, that's for sure. Um, and let's hope they've um, worked out something in the last 10 days because um, it's going to be a, a mighty battle there at 3 o'clock in the morning, our time, that's for sure.
1: Ian, if you're in the dressing rooms, mate, what would be your message to the boys before going out and kick-off? What would you be emphasising? you? What sort of words would you be saying?
6: Well, they've really got to, you know, they've got to trust themselves. And, um, and you know, that trust is, is big in a, in a team sport. You've got to trust each other and trust the guy beside you or inside you or outside you. And so you've got to go out with that in mind because if you haven't got that trust and that teamwork, you're going to forget in a battle. So, yeah, it's all about, um, well, it comes down to self-responsibility, doesn't it? You know, you can say as much as you like, Mm. Um, the coaches can, and but you've still the guys individually have got to say to themselves, you know, this is my game, my position. I want to keep it. I want to beat these guys. We just got to have that that hard nose attitude, and
7: for as long as you're
6: out there, um, you've got to be pull it out. And uh, if you don't, you're going to let the side down, and so it goes right through the team. So that's. That
1: that that would be my message. Kiki, I know you're a legend, mate, and you're a humble man. <clears throat> Is there a moment, you know, when you're on the farm and you're just by yourself or you're driving the tractor or something, you look back at a game or you look back at a moment in your career and you think, jeez, I was good there, or <laughs> or a moment where you think that got away and I wish I did that different? Not something that haunts you, but just something that just pops into your mind um, here and there?
6: Oh, <laughs> Yeah, some of those, some of those rugby memories are starting to get a bit distant now. But <laughs> oh, I think i, I tell you what—I think I was lucky to have played in the in the era that I did. I don't know. Um, I think if I'd have played in this era, maybe I might have in a damn wheelchair by now. If I, if I was lucky to do that, even. Um, so you know, the the physicality of the game has got has got sort of ridiculous in my book. Yeah. I mean it's always it's always been a physical game, but it's sort of gone into that professional era and it's just become a a real race to the top to see you can be more professional than, than any other team or any other individual. And I think, you know, that's and you mentioned it earlier on that I you know, I certainly do worry about the the player welfare of these guys after they finish yeah. playing and they get into their fifties and sixties. And things start to go wrong because of what they, they did in their rugby days. And so that that's what really worries me. And I'm concerned about these young guys coming on, wanting to make it, but in the process, um, uh, getting fairly well beaten up. And I just think it's sad that the game's been allowed to get what it is. It's always been a physical game, sure. But, you know, let's, let's have the physicality controlled and... and and lessen the contact that these players have to go into all the time. They put their heads down, and they hope they get their heads in the right place, because if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. And so, you know, we probably only hear half of what goes on and and what happens afterwards, after these big games, that some of these big hits that they go into, you know, the bodies bodies aren't made of steel, uh, but, uh, you know, they certainly... are well-developed and they, they're, you know, really well-trained, but it still doesn't take away the fact that they aren't made of steel. And so somewhere along the line, their bodies are going to start disintegrating in some way. And yeah. so I'm, that's what I'm worried about.
2: Yeah, and I'm with you, and I hope you're, I hope we're both wrong. I hope we're both wrong, but it's the way the game has gone. Um, very wise words, as always. And thanks so much for joining us here today. I'll let you go enjoy your Saturday. Uh, It's a real treat to hear your voice again, Ian. Take it easy. Uh, Excellent, Fives. Thank you, Patrick, former All Black, Captain All, former All Black, great, joining us uh, live from the Magnificent Poverty Bay. All part of our uh, Tales of the Tractor series in association with uh, Midas Midas Agri Tyres. Made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality doesn't have to break the bank. As advertise for your equipment. Back after this break, it's 10 away from 12. No grand, at Hamish Bennett is with us. Busy old hour of Kirk, Patrick, Jacob, Spoonley and your text messages. Keep them rolling through, especially uh, for those who need to get their nominations in for the Sleep Drops performance of the week. Uh, a prize pack thanks to Sleep Drops still available. I gave it to my Kiwi cyclist, um, the, motor, the mountain bike, Sam Gaze, mainly because he gave the finger four years ago and I'm a child and I need to get over it. Uh, it's been a fun old show. In Kurt Patrick, he was all—he's probably almost good to get in, good enough to get in your uh, South Canterbury all-time team. All-time
1: team, yeah. Probably make it. he to no play, He'd there. have to play blindside though. Well, We did a bit. I'm, I'm going on well, open side. Ben Francis would be pretty impressed with this, I reckon. He was born in Omeroo, but I mean, he grew up in Kuruau, which which is, the, is where. Was,
2: well, is it on the border? It's. Is this a tenuous claim?
1: It is Google. It's it's in the Canterbury region, so it'd be South Canterbury because it's. You know, close to Waimati, that area. And the great Richie McCall would have to start at 7 in South Canterbury. So you're
2: putting him on your list?
1: He's on the list. Even though, I mean, if he was born in he would have went to Waitaki Boys or something, but he didn't. Well, you're winding up a few people. He went to Otago Boys, and so he, he knew he had, he should probably should have went to Timaru Boys. but
2: I, I'm guessing Jamie from Otago, um, he's, not no, that, he's, he's not a big fan of your work. I'll, I'll get to that text and a few others straight after this break. It's four away from 12. It is back on 12 o'clock, final hour of the show. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Daniel McCarty. Hamish Bennett is here. Jordan Luck He's with and us. South Canterbury are our sponsors for today.
1: You'll be listening, long time listening.
2: Proud South Canterbury man alongside Hamish Bennett, making every opportunity to claim every athlete who's basically driven through Tim South a night. Canterbury.
1: Stayed a night at least.
2: Yeah, stayed a night at least. Daniel Loader,
1: He stayed a few nights, really early yeah. in his life.
2: So the story you've heard was... His mother couldn't get well, where they they had obviously had yeah, they're obviously driving,
1: driving back to and the had evening.
2: the baby in Timaru, so that's why you're claiming him. Yeah, McCaw, Curral, South Canterbury claiming him because yep. that hasn't gone down well. Well, they won here, Richie McCaw grew up in Curail, South Canterbury, fat, full stop.
1: Yep, beautiful.
2: Jamie writes if Canterbury are going to claim Daniel Loder, then we Otago are definitely claiming Richie.
1: I'll tell you something, Jamie, it's not Canterbury, it's South Canterbury. We hate, <laughs> we hate Canterbury, yeah. they're the big guys that come in with slick haircuts and flat whites. and... You know, and dressed well, and you okay. Know, so, what's the defining
2: stuff? What's the defining dress code of a South Ken Tambarian? Oh, you're looking for it?
1: You know, sort of a chicken shirt button halfway down, some big boots.
2: But like those bogan's that chased me around Waimati when I was 13.
1: Yeah, what well, we sort of we look we as we look down a little bit at Waimati. but that's a different story. So that's, this, pe- this that's, take, that's, take, that's the pecking order, this is could it? Take a wee while. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. So um, so, so
2: what are the rules of, of claiming? If they go to school, you're definitely claiming them. If they're born there, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, if they what, spend a number of years in the regions, you'll, you'll, you'll claim that. Do yeah, so you, you think there's a, a legitimate reason to claiming all of these?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. I mean, we've got some great athletes and it's we've got some great facilities down there now as well. And so it's a great place to grow up and play sport. Like, there's just so much now. I guess a little bit of my time, you had to travel up to Christchurch to do whatever and, and train and stuff. But now they got all the facilities. Great stadium there. Not enough league players on his lift, eh? No, I haven't found any leagueies, actually. It's any really, any leagueies from South little, Canterbury? A little bit disappointing. Double eight, double three. Oh, this is good as well. There's a core board in North Otago. We hate North Otago, playing for that Hannon Shield. God, they even another, get reception another, down there.
2: Another message. Schooled in Otago, then poached by Canterbury.
1: Yeah, Otago. is not North Otago. I know that. It's Kourou's in Canterbury region, mate. <laughs> Jamie, he's pitched again, Jamie. I know that. We hate North Otago.
2: Oh, bless. How the Warriors going to go as I try to move this off and actually get back to a sports show here, Ben. You should at Alpine Energy. Uh, the Rabbits. The ra- I, I've been a little bit disappointed with the Rabbits. I, I don't know if I, I sort of fell into that, what they have done over the last four or five years that they're going to be in the top sort of top three or four, five, but they're sort of hanging on, aren't they? Well, they lost
1: Reynolds. So there's your yeah. problem. Straight away, going to the Bronx. He's pushed them up. Obviously, the Bronx had lost uh, last night, but he's pushed them up, Reynolds, so... Yeah, this is missing that this missing Adam Reynolds, really. Pretty hard player to replace.
2: Yeah, he is. So, um if the Warriors are to get up later this afternoon, uh yeah, five o'clock kickoff. Five mm. o'clock kickoff on that one. What do they need to do? Come on, Ben Francis, number one Warriors supporter at S E N Z. Uh, I'm being Fully mi- kitted out uh, on match day.
3: Yeah, like always. I'm saying this in all seriousness. They, quite, I was going to say a miracle to an extent, and the reason why I say that is they have not beaten the Rabbitohs since 2018, and they've only only beaten them twice in the last decade. So it's going to the, the Rabbitohs a bit of a bogey team for the Warriors at the moment. So well, all streaks come to an end, Ben. All ex- streaks come to an end. Exactly like Ian Foster's. But uh, any, anyway,s uh,
1: oh, it's oh. harsh. Oh. The Rabbits need to win as well to get into the eight. There's a few teams that can make the eight um, as well. And I just want to get back to this. Um, no,
2: I don't want to get back David to... Head. Head. No,
1: I do. I do. What's... Otago... Otago, they had the option of getting McCaw and they picked Sam Harding who went to Christ College over McCaw because Harding was in the New Zealand at the 19 team starting open side. So then McCaw said, well, I'm going to go take my scholarship, go to Lincoln and try Christchurching because Harding's ruined my spot in Otago. So blame the person... <laughs> Who recruited Sam Harding.
2: Okay. okay. Probably a good time considering Ben Francis' little jib about him, Foster. during gigs uh, message. All week, I've been hearing from people that want the All Blacks to lose these two test matches, so Foster will get the boot and Razor will get the nod. Let's be honest. If we do lose, both, uh, there's no guarantee he will be the next coach, Robertson. Um, I don't think there's a guarantee Foster will be sacked, even if they do lose. It's how you lose. If you play incredibly well, and then lose by something. Let's just let's let's wait a fortnight. Uh, take a deep breath. See how these games go. We will take a short break though at five minutes after twelve o'clock. Coming up after it is time for our Saturday session legends segment. Uh, New Zealand have done incredibly well at the Commonwealth Games, especially cycling and in the pool. Big shout out to Lewis Clearbird, a fine Wellington boy, who uh, what amongst all the medals won the 200 meter uh, fr- uh, butterfly at the Commonwealth Games. We're going to catch up with a former 200 meter butterfly. A gold medalist. It can only be Moss Burmester. Uh, Success in 2006. Uh, A wonderful career. Very thoughtful athlete. I sat down with him yesterday uh, to talk about his uh, career in association with Somerset. Think legendary care. Think Somerset Retirement Villages. Moss Burmester is our Saturday Session legend coming up after this. Time for our Saturday Session Legends segment. This week we caught up with, we being me, uh, caught up yesterday with one Moss Burmester. Moss is halfway through an endurance race right now. I think a 12-hour endurance race. It started at 4am, hence why he could not join us live. This is all in association with Somerset. Think legendary care, think Somerset retirement uh, villages. Moss Burmester's storied career in the pool, representing New Zealand. Uh, Commonwealth Games champion from 2006. I started off by asking uh, Moss and enlightening him on the challenge that we've given one Grant Elliott to race Stephen Donald in a width championship uh, for the SENZ width championship. Uh, we don't have any faith in uh, uh, Beaver or um, Mr Elliott finishing a full olympic size swimming pool length, uh, hence why we've uh, made the uh, the width championship the, uh, the, the task. But I did ask uh, Moss, when did he first get into the pool and when did he start figuring out he was pretty darn good at this thing called swimming?
8: I actually started pretty late. So grew up in Taronga I went to the Otomaru Swim Club and um, used to just go along to, you know, um, the normal swim lessons and squad and things like that. And I remember one of my very early stories, I obviously, Otomaru, they progress you through the lanes and you normally start where, you, as a young kid, you can stand up. And I, the very first lesson, like they identified that I was very comfortable in the water and they moved me to the the, that old, uh, the, to the older kids squad and I was last in the lane and I couldn't stand because the deep end was too deep for me and so every time I came into the end I would have to treat water because all the big kids were holding on to the end of the lane right? so, you know, and I, so I couldn't really get a spot and I swallowed heaps of water and apparently about 10 minutes into the list and I said to the coach hey not feeling so well can I get out and they said yeah it's fine and I jumped out and, and then proceeded to throw up all over mum like a spew you know like, <laughs> so so my early days of um, swimming, just yeah, you know, I guess I was identified as very comfortable in the water, yeah.
7: um,
8: but I wasn't. I didn't push it at all, actually, which is quite unusual. So it wasn't until um, I swam, you know, and again, as I said, I was identified as being good, but mum, dad never f- tried to say, hey, you should be picking up the early mornings. And I remember I used to do four one-hour sessions a week right up to the age of 14, wow. which is not wow. a lot. Um, and then there was always one coach, Pick Parkhouse. So Janie Parkhouse, who won yep. gold medal at the yep. 74 Commonwealth Games in Christchurch. Um, her dad was the um, coach in Tauranga at the time. And he had identified me, you know, you could see I had talent and always sort of said to my parents, when are you going to get him join my team, you know, swim Squad? And mum dad said, you know, when he wants to do it, you know, kind of thing. And it um, never really pushed me. And then I remember I, re- I took six months off. I played rugby and cricket and another few other sports and I took six months off um, when I was 14, came back at 14 and a half and, and I was like, alright, I realised I had missed the swimming and I also said I'm ready to take this on and start training properly and see what I can do. And so I joined Pick Squad and I was with Pick for three weeks then he retired. So so, <laughs> so he You I broke him. You I, broke and, him. Yeah, yeah. He always wished he got me earlier. And then um, but I was very really lucky that Clive Power at the time took over um, in Tauranga and he created the Harlequin Swim Squad, which is was quite a unique concept at the time where it was based off the Harlequin rugby team. So that concept where you didn't actually have to, you could belong to different clubs. It was just a training squad. So we used to race as the Harlequin Swim Team, but we weren't actually a club. So our, our points would still go back to Otomaro or Gretchen or Rotorua or Pakatane, because he and he basically created for the whole of the Bay of Penny. So he he really took the sport, and I remember he sat down, um, so after the three weeks pick retired and Clive was there and he got all the swimmers and all their parents at the Mount Maunganui Surf Club and I remember he sat us all down and he said, if you follow the swim program that I'm going to see out in place, someone in this room will get to the Olympics. This program will be good enough to get swimmers to the Olympics. And And I was the one from the bay you know that, that did that with him so he was a very good coach very very good at planning pathways and developing swimmers and getting them through to you know olympic level so yeah that was that was sort of how my journey kicked off and, that, and then that started you know the 10 two hours two and a half hour sessions a week and gym sessions three times a week and you know I was still in my last years of school and I'd turn up at class and you know basically I was very lucky that uh, my auntie was a dean and I'd turn up at school late and, and I would eat my breakfast in her um, dean's office because I was always missed that um, roll call class or that they had. And then I'd go to my first lesson and I remember the teachers are very supportive and often they let me sleep in class, which is really nice.
2: This is brilliant. It, it, allow me to be childish. I, I, I just can't get over chundering by the side of the pool after you first get into the water. It's like, I, I'm sure people around there go, that, guy, that guy's a future world champion short course. That guy's a future Olympian. That guy's definitely going to win a Commonwealth Games goal. So, so you're painting this picture. You were naturally blessed, but maybe a bit of a rough diamond. I'm not sure if that's, that's the right term. So, so that growth over three, four years through to what? I think you were 18, 19 when you first went to a Com Games. Was that growth quite fast?
8: Uh, in terms of, I guess, if you could, if you took it from where I was, basically 15 through to then, yes. Um, but at the same time, if you looked at when I made, like I never had New Zealand age group records. I never made New Zealand teams until 2000, which was Oceania Champs, which is the first international team. And then there's only Oceania Champs. In the scheme of international teams, it's not that big um, and so I guess by that stage I think I was 19 when I made that team and so you could sit there and say actually 19 to make your first token New Zealand team and have no decent results is actually really late comparatively to age so I'd, I'd never really actually thought about it in terms of my acceleration and growth because it was always just like oh yeah, I'm a late bloomer because of my age at the yeah. Time. so yeah now that you've asked that question I say yes I think from sort of because I started at almost 15 through to the year, it was a reasonably kind of hockey curve acceleration.
2: For the uninitiated, like myself, I I, I know about the grueling hours every swimmer has to put in um, and you want to peek at at those major meets, but the element of racing itself, the the strategy Mm. on the day, can you pick apart that uh, and sort of elaborate on that? Because I'm assuming... You go to Commonwealth Games 2002, you compete in Butterfly Freestyle, then you're at the Olympics 2004, going to meets of that sort of status and level. You must take so much out of it about, you know, getting those extra 1%,
8: 2%. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in that moment of time when you're on TV and people are watching, that's what they see. Um, They don't see all the hours and hours and hours of hard work and slog and sacrifice and everything else that goes on behind it. Um, and it leads to that point to me for me and the interesting thing i think about sport is we talk about this you know with my work because we talk about workplace performance now that's what I do but the really interesting thing about sport whether people love it or not we, we use it as analogy because sport is a great way of showing um performance in a in a set moment in time especially at competition right so you take like a game of rugby it's 80 minutes long you know you you go on and you can see two teams and a group of people and they're going to battle it out and they're going to um, see how they go and, and fundamentally what it does is at that moment in time it comes down all, it's all about mindset right it's all about up in the head and because you can see that does someone choke or capitulate in that in that in that pe- short period of um, so you see performance play out in the set from, a, from start to finish and I, I always find that really fascinating and one of the unique things and interesting things about, say, Commonwealth sports or Olympic sports is generally there you get one chance. There's no season, right? So if you stuff up and, you, and you're and you playing, I don't know, netball or hockey or you've got a season where you, you lose a game, normally you can figure out what went wrong. You've got a chance to pick yourself up and come back. The unique thing, say, this, the, 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 like swimming, you turn up, you, you race the heats, and then you've got the final, and you've got to step up in that moment of time. You've got to get it right. And if you're injury-free in and generally that's all okay, you know your your training's been fine, your build-up's been fine, and in swimming normally it is, you know, there's not a whole lot of injuries that, yeah. from swimming. Then it is it's about mindset, and so I used to relish that. I always enjoyed it, and I always looked forward to the competition because for me it was actually um, it was never a question of whether or not I was going to do well. I always knew that because my build-up had been good, because my build-up had been um, I had worked on it and you've got all this time to develop and go right, where am I weak? Where do I need to work on? And you've got this sort of bread and butter sets that you can always measure yourself against. You can see your rate of improvement. So when I came to race, my, my mindset was really simple. It wasn't, am I going to race better? It was simply, look, I know my training has been better than ever before. So therefore I'm going right. to race better than I ever had before. It wasn't a question of if it was a, I'm going to go faster. So I had quite a, I guess unusual sense in that if you look at all the major pinnacle events that I did, bar the last Commonwealth games, and that was when there was certain issues going on yeah. issues and things like that. When I was always fine, I always did a personal best at the major competition. Yeah. I even didn't. Yeah. And that's quite unique apparently in, in it. And and that's again because my mindset in the day on that on that moment of time was, was was where it needed to be. It was just like right. I'm going to see what I can do and I know I'm going to go faster just how much better than my PB am I going to go.
2: After your first Olympics in 2004, still around, what, 2021, mm. I think you finished mm. just outside the top 10. Does that still your resolve that, hey, I can compete Um, and the next four-year cycle is going to be my time? Yes. the Again,
8: like, so, yeah, 2002 Com Games, I got fourth and I was yeah. stoked for that fourth because my goal there was to go – and make the final, so top eight, and to go sub two minutes. And I did that. I went 159 and I got made the final, and the final got fourth. So I was really happy with that. 2004 um, Olympics, again, swam at PB, we had the time I wanted to go, um, not quite as quick as I wanted to go, but still a significant personal best. But I had hoped to make the final there, and I got, yeah, I think 11th or 12th or something, 10th, something like that. Um, so I was disappointed because um, that's when they first raced, I think. Um, heat semi-finals finals so um it was interesting that one yeah well i was disappointed that i didn't go through but again it was it was i guess i said the progression with me and me doing personal bests every time i swam it was always like for me to make a final i think was a two second pb pre- pre- predicted two second pb and most people's eyes to do that at the major meet because they don't most sw- swimmers wouldn't even swim a personal best was would be considered push, really pushing the limits. But again, I never doubted that, you know, that's what I was there to do. And you know, I would be some of the personal
2: best. It sounds like you're going up a staircase at these major meets three steps at a time in a lot of ways.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, and and as I said, it comes down to the mindset thing, you know, and, and the interesting thing too is when you think about how people progress, most people progress through experience. So people usually um the incremental jumps is ve- and this is where I I work really closely with um, Craig Steele who is my yeah. performance specialist and the real secret is again when we think about the ability as human beings we can be conscious of our consciousness This is going to get a bit deep
0: <laughs> we, can
8: we can be conscious of our consciousness so therefore we can create any state of reality that we want regardless of the reality that is around us right well wow, that is very existential
2: dream. very existential yeah. I like it
8: so when you think about it right you have the ability to dream or imagine anything but regardless of the current state around you. And as a, you think about it, as young kids are growing up, the parents and those around them that are supporting them will say, what do you want to be? You can be anything, right? What do you want to do? And it's about, them. and you, you're fundamentally telling them it's a mindset thing. They can grow up and do whatever they want to do. And so it's interesting though, as we get to human, like grow up as humans and become adults, we start to learn from experience and we believe that our environment is what we've, how we're going to progress as a basis of our, our experiences in the current environment. And you think about it too, though, that's very, very limiting. So if you're going to have to swim a personal best, you most people think that they have, need to be able to experience that they can get close before they believe they can do better again, so then they can take a little improvement, a little step. Whereas if you can project your mind to what do you think you can achieve ahead of time as and really push the boundaries and, and, and believe, right, right, I'm not only going to improve a little bit. I haven't experienced that, but I know I'm capable of doing that. So therefore you can start to create this different reality for yourself. That's how you really accelerate your improvements.
2: So seconds before the 200 meter butterfly final at the 2006 Con Games, for which you go on and win in a games record in 156, is that what you're thinking? Mm. Games record, I, I can do that. Yeah.
8: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... 2006 Com Games was a really interesting one. Um, there was the build-up next summer. So again, I mean, my set-wise, I knew I was going to go in there, I knew I was going to win gold, and I knew I was going to break the New Zealand record, which was Anthony Moss's at the time, and the Commonwealth Games record was the, the goal. And um, there was no doubt that that wasn't going to happen. Now, I didn't make that public because, obviously, I think New Zealand would perceive that as being arrogant. So oh, you, you can't know, do that. You
2: the- can't do that, Moss. can't <laughs> exactly. do that in this world.
8: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's fascinating, you know, because, and again, I said to the, it was easy though, because I just said to the media and, you know, when I go ask questions, hey, how do you want to go? I want to do better than last time, which I got fourth last time. So I was basically saying I want a medal, you know, but in my mind, if I hadn't got gold, I would have been disappointed.
2: Um, so you, so you, you achieve all of that. What's it like? Yeah. Is it just pure elation when you tick all of those boxes on such a big stage? I, I imagine it could be, could be quite a strange feeling
8: uh it is yeah i oh, know i think i yeah, i was absolutely stoked you know i was wrapped it was none of that wasn't the same and i guess it was yeah it, it all, it's, you know when you've got a plan and it comes to and you're being stretched right the goals i'm seeing and stuff like that is the stretching and really challenging myself and then it all comes to fruition so you feel very very rewarded you know and you've worked for, for years towards this so you know and, and and again if you've got the mindset and sit there and go like i deserve to win this i deserve to do it because i've worked so hard It's a very different mindset going to the race. Going, I hope that I do well. I hope that I might win this. Versus, this is mine. This is my time. I deserve to get there. Mm. You know, it's a a very, very different sort of mindset. So, the actual um, interesting um, thing about the Commonwealth Games race, the two Aussie boys were um, were my main competition, and they were both quite good in the back end of the race. I had more natural speed than they did. And the 2005 World Champs in Canada, I had gone out very. I was in the final. I'd gone out very well. I died. I, I think I was sitting in third position or something in that, at the 150, and then that last 50 metres of turn, I really suffered, and the piano came down and, on me, and I just yeah. couldn't get out of the water and couldn't keep the hips high, and, and I died off, and I think I touched seventh or eighth. And, um, and so me and my coach looked at it and went, right, we've got to really work on this last 50, this back end of your race. And um, so then when we came to the heat, and we did throughout the whole, you know, not that we weren't previously, but we really focused on that for a whole year leading up to the Comm Games, and our race plan was when I swim the heats at the Comm Games, I purposely swam it to make it look like I, I really suffered in that last 50 again. So the two Aussie boys and their coaches would have been watching me. And I, I went out with that natural speed. And, and the plan was because we thought if the Aussies think I'm going to die, they'll think they can catch me and they'll give me a bit more leeway. So in the final, if they're sitting there thinking they can catch me and I go out faster than quite a bit faster again, they'll think that they can reel me in, and they'll yeah. like potentially have gone out too quick. Um, and so that's, and then when the final came to play out, that's exactly what happened. They let me go, and I went out, you know, I didn't stay in touch. We hit that 150 wall, I nailed that turn, and the underwater came out, and, and you know, I still was, I think, about half the body length. You know, I had a terrible touch at the end of that race, so that sort of added almost half a second. Yeah, the, the, I, the plan all came to fruition, and those Aussie boys never never realised that I sort of had this little kick in the in the back pocket. That,
2: that, that's amazing. Like All these years on, you've still identified a little part in there, oh, I could have done that better, and the time could have <laughs> even even be better. I, I love that about athletes and some of the memories they do have. Two years on, 2008's a really big one for you, isn't it? Um, you have great success at the, the Short Course World Championship. You win gold in Manchester in the 200-metre fly. I think silver in um, two years earlier at the same event. But... The Olympics, the two hundred meter butterfly final. One um, Michael Phelps wins it um, with a world record. You take another two seconds, and from two thousand six through to two thousand eight, you take another two seconds off. One fifty four, you finish fourth. How often have you replayed that race over in your mind? Uh,
8: a huge amount. Yep. Yeah. Um, I. It's really interesting. It took me a very long time to analyse and come to grips with that race, and I absolutely hate it. Hate the result. Um, yeah. it still works me today and the reason is is not so much that I fin- it was finishing fourth again it was this mindset thing right I was going in to win silver or better I was going in to challenge Michael and and do well and as I said I I leading up to it 2007 um, Jan Cameron um, at the time so I changed coaches from Clive I shifted to Auckland and was training under um, Thomas Sansorg and Jan Cameron and Jan Cameron extremely well connected and respected globally around the world in the swim coaching and she had organized with Bob Bowman and Michael Phelps and um, to go and join them at a training. Well, actually they invited me to give Michael some competition and training so I went over to um, the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado and it's at altitude there and we stayed there you know like lived on campus there and trained for three weeks at altitude and we would do the sessions we were doing and it was wasn't just Michael and me there was also I think I remember in the squad, I think there was five Olympic individual Olympic gold medalists, and just wow. in that There were about twenty-five swimmers there, and 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 that's just the golds. You know, like there were there was some phenomenal Peter Van and you know a bunch of American swimmers that people wouldn't necessarily know of. Yeah, and and other coaches too, John Mubincheck, people like that and it was an incredible environment. And we had three three weeks, and we went three-three-one, three-three-one, like that. So we did three swim sessions of an hour and a half. Um, for the day, next day we did the same and then we'd do one session and that would be our sort of recovery day and we repeated that for three weeks and, and every second Man. day we were doing gym sessions and dry land and stuff so massive, massive training week and I got to know Michael reasonably well there and um, you know, and each other and so based off the back of that, then I had world champs where I you know won the gold and again it was an interesting race so I knew the Polish boy and the Japanese boy were going to be sizing each other up, I purposely, it was a risk but I purposely qualified on the outside lane and again, I knew they would struggle to see me and I put down using my natural speed to get a lead and easily won that race, which is really cool. And that gave me a lot of, again, a lot of confidence going into the Olympics. And I, and I thought, you know, this is, I'm silver or better here and you know, I'm really going to challenge for it. And unfortunately I got what Mahi Drysdale had where I had a belly, a tummy bug and I was, couldn't eat, couldn't keep food down, it was, you know, yeah. on the toilet all the time and um, the, the interesting thing with, and I think, and I'm not judging Mahi for the way he approached it. I didn't make it public, I decided not to. And I think of very different circumstances though. You know, Mahi had all this pressure and this expectation from the public, whereas, yeah, there was some of that on me, but not to his degree. Um, but my, so I thought though, if I acknowledge that I'm sick, I'm giving myself a way out. You know, like I'm sitting there and saying, hey, I'm not at my best. Um, therefore, I'm not going to potentially race my best. Therefore, what does that mean for the result? And so I decided to kind of go, yeah, I'm sick, but doesn't matter. I'm going to push through that. And what can I still do, you know? And so I kept it quiet, kept it under wraps. But unfortunately, as I said, you know, like I was second at the 150 turn right up there with Michael. A lot of people don't watch that um, the underwater piece of it too. I really hammered the turn. I've been working my underwaters a huge, huge amount because um, that's really important in the tinner fly and i broke out you know again right there with with michael and in the last sort of 25 30 meters i really died over that last now it's hard to know did i go out too quick or did i just not have the energy because i was sick and that's the yeah. bit that i hate about yeah. the result is actually i don't know what i could have been capable of yeah. i knew i could have gone better if i hadn't been would that have been a medal would that have been you know challenging michael and you know, I've played it back in my head because he won eight golds. And I was thinking, you know, it's kind of the David and Goliath thing, you know, like I would have been known as the one that stopped Michael from having a record-breaking eight medals, you know, and all those sorts of scenarios play through your head. And I absolutely hate, hate that outcome still to this day. And it took me a very, very long time to realise, though, like analysing. Normally we watch our races straight afterwards, and I – couldn't watch that race for six months I, wow. you know, to analyze it, it. I just couldn't. I just physically couldn't take it. And, but um, I, I realized um, that it was actually probably my greatest race. And so I put everything on the line. You know, The build-up is incredible. And I, and the reason I knew I put everything on the line is um, I qualified in the outside lane. Michael was lane four, so he, he can choose which side of the pool to exit the pool from. Um, and he decided to come out my way. And the media um, corner, or the way you get funneled down through the media, you know, to do the interviews and stuff, was actually on the opposite side of the. Then I got out, but Michael came the long way around. And I remember I got out of the pool and I was the last one to get out, even though I was right on the side there. And I was sort of trying not to show it, but my legs were absolutely gone. I could hardly walk. Like I was absolutely spent and I felt like I was going to collapse. And I remember I walked really, really slow and it was and Michael caught up to me. And of course, Michael, I, you know, I said we'd, be, we'd been training together, got to know each other. And of course I congratulated Michael. I said, great race, Michael. And I shook his hand. But it looked like I got out of the pool and I waited for him. And then and later on everyone said, you know, the, those who were watching the camera and the TV said, Oh, you know, it was really nice of you to stand there and wait for Michael <laughs> to congratulate
2: him. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, I can't, and I mean I would have. I, 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 can't I
8: <laughs> But I was actually the truth was, I could hardly walk. I could hardly move, and I was. Acid levels were so high that I was just gone, and uh, and that, and that's why when I realised when I look at later, actually it was probably my greatest race as in terms of um, result for where I was at with the sickness and and the fact I could hardly walk, I hardly move but uh, I still, to this day, absolutely hate that result.
2: Well, your reaction, and you know, I, I've, I've got the advantage of seeing you, unlike the, the listeners right now, and your reaction is still very visceral to this day. Um, mm. 2010, you, I don't need to litigate this. You spoke very candidly at the time that New Zealand swimming wasn't um, overly conductive to allowing the swimmers to, to reach their benefit. So uh, probably, fair to say, a disappointing end to, to your time at Major um, uh, meets 2010 in, in Delhi, but post that, yeah. the, the competitive, the competitive spirit hasn't left you, right? So, so no. what have you, what have you used to fill the void? Because a lot of athletes do actually struggle to, to find that post their uh, competitive days.
8: Yeah, just the uh, last thing uh, on the end of that swim career. Actually, the two thousand and nine um, trials for the Com Games, I actually raced faster. I did another personal best, so I went to that champs. I swam a 154.1, so I went 154.3 at the Olympics, I went 154.1, and I swam a 348 in the 403, which was only just off Daniel 400 403 wow. New Zealand record, so I, I swam the annoying thing is I said at the end of my career I actually swam, I was still progressing, still getting faster, and that's why I can put it down to the fact that at the end of my swim career, um, there was a whole lot of political issues going on, and I lost Thomas, my coach 8 weeks prior to com games, and all this sort of stuff happened and really impacted that games which was hugely disappointing so yeah it was that was very frustrating but anyway yeah yeah, I bet I I
2: bet um, I bet
8: yeah and a lot of that kind of 50% of that um of all that crap that was going on was motivated me to retire too so it it wasn't the nicest way to finish and anyway so yeah then still I've always loved competition I love seeing I guess it's my way of measuring Where am I at in terms of whatever the sport is at? So I actually didn't do anything for about seven years. I was still active. You know, weekends I'd go out on the boat, hang out, you know, spearfishing, and yeah, you catch some big
2: fishes. You catch some big fish. Just check out your Instagram. You get some pretty large ones. Yeah,
8: Yeah, well, um, yeah. So that was one of the things is I've done a few spearfishing competitions. I represented New Zealand at the um, Inter Pacific spearfishing champs. I have still to this day only shot the only New Zealander to, to um shoot and land a black marlin in New Zealand. Um, that weighed in 163 kilos. So holy um, hell. yeah so um interesting there's yeah and that was so that's been that but I the first sort of sport that I got me back into doing some stuff again officially was the um World Masters games when they came to New Zealand and Auckland. And so seven years later, I hadn't really. Like, every now and then, I'd jump in the pool and just do the odd swim lesson, if, you know, or session. If someone said, "Hey, I'm going out of the pool," and but I probably averaged maybe three, four times a year, you know, like I did that. And then um, with World Masters coming to Auckland, you know, all the swimming boys and I'd say a lot of the ex-athletes were like, "Oh, we'll enter and we'll do it," you know. And and we all a bunch of us entered. And then I remember five weeks out from <laughs> from it, it was like, "Oh no, I haven't done any training." And so I. Uh, <laughs> I thought, shit, I better get in the pool and better do some training and and do something. So I, I messaged Rick Wells, he had the Rick Wells Swim Squad yeah. in Newmarket at the time, and uh, and he was like, yeah, come along, do you know, do some mornings, one hour session in the morning, and and it was sort of back like the early days, four one hour sessions a week, and and uh, and I did that for five weeks leading to the to the World Masters, and and it was I actually re- at that point realised how much I kind of missed yeah structured mm-hmm. training and really enjoyed it again. It just and I had become. You wouldn't say looking at me, I was unhealthy, but also I realized that not having fitness and exercise in my life um, wasn't a good thing, and and it helped me a lot, again, feel a whole lot better, so I did that, and then I kind of um, went, what do I do next? And um, my now wife, my partner at the time, who's now my wife, she said, oh, why don't we do coast to coast? And, you know, when I swam, I was so fit, I kind of looked at all these other events and thought, oh, I could do any event in the world, you know, because I was – whether that's coast to coast or an Ironman or whatever, even though it will not necessarily being fast, but you had the face fitness there. And so I just said, oh, yeah, let's do coast to coast together, not knowing the distances, not knowing what it involved. Like, I know it's from one side of the yeah. to the other, but you don't yeah. really look at the details. And, then when I, a couple of months down that we entered, a couple months down the track, I was like, looked at it, and I was like, wow, 243 kilometres. And, you know, there's a 70k kayak and you've got to get your grade two certification and you've got to do this mountain run and all these other things. I was like, wow, i better start doing some training
2: for this. Oh, brilliant. Well, you've done free diving. Um, you've done you've done a lot. And the competitive drive's not going to go away. It would be remiss of me to not ask you. you still an active viewer of the sport, of swimming, that is, and... You know, when Commonwealth Games come around, do you you scramble to to find out how am I going to follow it?
8: Yeah, it's interesting because you kind of, I'm getting on with life a little bit now. Yeah. As I said, my my wife now, we got married not long ago. And so it kind of suddenly is, next thing it's there, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, it's Commonwealth Games coming up. Oh yeah. And it's like, wow, it's on. How are we going to watch this? You know, and it, So um, this time around, we just ended up buying the Skyport sport package and watched online, which has been great. And uh, and again, I've really enjoyed watching it again, actually. Every time it comes around, it reminds me and all these memories that come back. And interesting, Lewis has credited me as being a lot of his inspiration as a young kid, so I've had a few interviews. And I mean, that's the ultimate honor, right, that you know you've inspired someone else, um, like a, a young kid that was there to dream big and go out there and actually achieve it. So and I said to Lewis, you know, I sent him a few messages and we've been talking just chatting a bit. And I said to him, you know, like there'll be thousands of kids there now. What looking at him and he's the same. So, you know, and, and for him to acknowledge cool. that within me is a as a I guess the ultimate honor. It was really cool.
2: Yeah, that is really cool. I bet. I I I you sort of not, not sure if blush is the right word, but it must for you must make you feel warm. Must make you feel it rather does. warm. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool
8: feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Anthony Moss and Daniel Lora, they were that for me, you know, and and um Yeah, it is cool to kind of get that feedback and be told that. Really cool.
2: Moss, I wish we had more time. I feel like we've pulled back the covers and there's so much more (laughs) we could get into. But thanks so much for joining us here on SCNZ. Great to to see you. Great to see you smiling. Um, You're way too fit for my liking. Um, You keep (laughs) up the fine work and hopefully we can catch up with you again soon.
8: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it.
2: Boss our Saturday session legend for this week in association with Somerset. Think legendary here. Think uh, Somerset Retirement Villages. Uh, new friends, new laughs, and a new home. Think Somerset Retirement Villages. Somerset.co.nz. Very thoughtful individual now, isn't he?
1: Is he? What, what a great chat that was, Daniel. Well done. It's amazing how he holds on to that race. He just, against Phelps. Yeah. he just wish that he wasn't sick. And I guess it's one of those things probably... When he did finish early. Would have woken him up in the middle of the night, just wondering what if. There's probably nothing worse as an athlete, always wondering what if. And you gonna have any what ifs? Probably not. No. Only maybe about my panic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if Kuro is actually in South Canterbury, it's probably the other one, right? Yeah, one of those two. Oh, it's something. Like
1: I'm going on Google <laughs> that I. It, it I appears research.
2: South Canterbury have invaded North Otago. Um, if Hamish Bennett was in charge, it is uh, 19 minutes away from one o'clock. Uh, thanks again to Moss Burmester. I um, hope you enjoyed that chat. So if you're just tuning in for the first time uh, earlier today, we had Inku, Patrick, Jamie Ward, Jacob Spoonley. It's been a busy old show, so feel free to check out our social media. All of those um, interviews will be up. Um, keep your nominations for Sleep Drops Performance of the Week coming through. Remember, a try New Zealand NZ for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. We will be after the break to catch up with the good old team who are once again on the road. Grant's not here today. He's away, not answering his phone either. Have we called him? Normally we call him.
1: Well, he calls us, actually.
2: We, we didn't call him. We didn't call him. It's, that's how much we think of um, him this week. Hamish Bennett's in the chair for him. Let's cross to, I think, somewhere in uh, Canterbury. Are you okay with us? In Christchurch, might be. Uh, Clado's on the road again.
7: G'day, Clado. Yeah, we're on the road again, all right. And we're at Rickerton Park today, and action's underway. We've had two races down, and not too far away till our third.
2: How did you behave last week in the Mighty Nacky?
7: Two weeks ago, uh, yes, we were oh. in and out on the day. But boy, the temperature dropped about three o'clock. Man, it got cold. Nobody had any gloves for us or any beanies. Just are uh, oh, you kidding? You didn't get to stay over. I thought
2: you were going to no, tear no, that. Um, you know that city, and you, you know. You exit if you know what yeah, I, no, I mean, I th- but no, you're in and out no, the think, same I day. I think
7: we're still on a red card from the previous visit, 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what about today? No, never do um, stairway oh, to heaven for karaoke. That's all I can say. No,
2: <laughs> that goes for way too long. Never do Paradise City by Guns and Roses either, because they have that three-minute instrumental and you just look like a plonker on top of the stage. <laughs> uh, we're going, we're going down a rabbit hole. What is the highlight of the racing today?
7: Well, this is the first day of the three-day Grand National Carnival. Daniel, and we've got uh, we've got uh, the Coral Steeplechase Chase coming up very shortly. Unfortunately, just the four runners, but the feature event today, the $100,000 125th Winter Cup, and really good field assembled here. Kevin Myers, he looks like he's got a bit of a mortgage on the race with very flash, uh, full brother to a very elegant Melbourne Cup winner, and of course he's got the highly regarded stablemate and kick on who won't be out of it either. So. That's uh, 4.04 this afternoon. That's the big $100,000 feature event today.
2: And the good oil on the road, it looks like just you at the moment. Are you being joined by your good oil uh, participants, or do they have to suffer life back in the studio while you look down at the camera, sort of thumbing your nose at them?
7: No, no. Bradley Bacon set us up up here in the stand, overlooking the winning post, and I'm going to be joined by a world champion driver and Mark Jones. Back a while ago, though, 2003, but Mark Jones, world champion Driver joining us alongside uh, respected journalist Matt Markham. So if you want to know something, oh, nice. That usually tips one out, then it starts drifting in price. So I, I, I have to fire. ask you,
2: Hamish Bennett. Hamish Bennett's been the chief uh, propaganda minister for South Canterbury sport today. Um, uh, far lap, of course, but you didn't mention any jockeys or any Ryan, any drivers. Uh, any names we should
7: add into that list, Mark? Claydo? from South Canterbury.
2: Yeah. All no, I don't know. There you go, see? You finally struck out, Hamish. I'll turn off your mic. Commiserations, commiserations. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Clayto, thanks so much. Have a great show, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank thank you,
7: Daniel. Thanks, Hamish.
2: We will take a short break. Final words being, of course, our sporting tips for the sporting weekend that you should probably run a mile from. (laughs) Final act of the show is always to offer you some great advice as far as uh, tipping over the weekend. Um, So good it is that we... um, Have a warning with this segment. It's the tips you should run a mile from. All right, Ben Francis has got a doozy. I will start, though. I will uh, say I'm going to go All Blacks South Africa. Now, guys, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. All Blacks have started poorly against Ireland in all three tests, right? We're aware of that. They're going to come out of the gates. They're going to come flying out of the gates. They're going to score the first try. Adi Savir to score the first try. Ben, 21 bucks. But they'll go on and lose the test by 12 and under. Paying $2.50. There you go. There's the anatomy of the test match. Good luck with your tipping. Gamble responsibly and don't use my advice. That's my advice.
3: Ben Francis. Yeah, I got a bit of a different one this week. So I did an interview with uh, World Darts number one, Gurwin Price. And at the, of, dropper. at the interview, he was talking <laughs> about uh, <laughs> uh, hitting a nine data while he's down here. So I said to him, mate, I'll give you 20 bucks if you hit one. So I guess my money will be going on him not to hit a nine data.
2: <laughs> so. You're you're hedging against yourself. Pretty much. So what was it? What was his reaction when you came up with the very generous offer of $20 to the, well, well, there was to the world another, number one starts player? There,
3: there was another journal interviewer. He's just like, I'll chuck in a 20 as well. So he's like, all right, a couple of pints in.
2: Yeah. Well, New Zealand prices, you know, 40 bucks Get around for all three of you. You don't drink, Ben. That's, that's why he can get around for all three of you. Because you're getting the
1: water. Hamish, what have you got? Well, you know what? I've had to look at that jersey for nearly three hours, three and a bit hours. So we're going to go to the WoWos. woes. If you've got a spare $5, I think they're paying $7.
2: <laughs> just head to head, you're thinking?
1: Yeah, just head to head. Don't get too carried away. Okay. So, from what I've seen, and, they're paying and the,
2: and the reason, other than staring at his Warriors jersey for three hours and having the Warriors in your mind?
1: Well, they haven't been there for, since 2018. Again, that's probably another
2: end. reason that they won't do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the Rabbitohs are paying a dollar eight. <laughs> there's, not,
2: there's not much logic in that. Nah. Right, you may want to run and put some money on the Rabbitohs. Uh, the good oil is up next. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thank you to everyone who's joined the show, particularly you, the listeners who've engaged uh, with us. Our producer extraordinaire Ben Francis and uh, Hamish Bennett, for filling Thank in, you, my mate. friend. Great Brilliant. seeing you. Take it easy. Have a great week, team. I assume Grant will be back next week. Who knows.